ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a brand new era, a 21st century bond that in many ways goes back to the darkness of Fleming's original. That's right, it's a blonde bond in the form of Daniel Craig. It's time for Casino Royale! And with me is a man who loves nothing more than to get dressed up in some very fancy suits, sit on a train, talk to a stranger about Texas Hold'em, and then just skewer their character. It's Stuart Late! Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Hey, Nat, this movie's pretty good, hey? <laughs> you can generally tell from these podcasts if Stu starts with a, hey, Nat, pretty good movie, <laughs> that we're in for a treat. Not, not, to, not to play my hand, not to show my tell too early. That's right. Uh, well, we also have a special guest with us today. He is a man who has <laughs> been waiting to appear on this pod for this specific film, having bagged it way back in the beginning. From the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast, it is Gregoire. Yay. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Casino Royale, we're here. We're finally here. <laughs> You've been listening to weeks and weeks of us drone on. I have. No, I've been really enjoying, honestly been enjoying the podcast. It's made me go back and watch old Bonds, which I haven't watched for a long time. And, and not the obvious ones. Sometimes you talk about them like, oh, yeah, that one sounds really interesting. And I go back and watch them. So I've learned a lot about it. And I've listened to your wonderful guests. And I hope I can add something to this one. You've got big shoes to fill. We've had some pretty awesome guests. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No pressure. And also it's, you know, you're up against Stu here. Oh, yes. The chocolate voice mountain god himself. I feel like only a poker game can really solve who will be the (laughs) ultimate winner. Um, Which one will start bleeding from the eyes? (laughs) (laughs) Look, by the end of this podcast, probably all of our listeners bleeding from the ears. So I thought maybe I would start by doing a bit of a backstory on Casino Royale because a lot of people would know this film as Daniel Craig's first film. They might also know that it was Ian Fleming's first novel, but that it had not been an Eon Productions film due to various copyright reasons over where the rights were held. It turns out that Eon Productions got the rights back to this film in 1999, to the novel, I should say, after Sony Pictures Entertainment exchanged them for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's rights to Spider-Man. So we can thank that first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film wow. for getting Casino Royale. They can, you imagine, can you imagine that trade-over? Like there's a late at night and there's a bridge and then there's two cars <laughs> pull up and they go, okay, James, walk. Walk, James. Okay, Peter Parker, walk. Don't talk to each other. They cross. And they go, hope you like your life, man. Okay, best of luck, good old son. And they just keep going. (laughs) They never look back. That's such a weird trade to us now. But at the time, they must have thought they were getting such a great deal. Who are you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like like the Bond people were like, shit. I mean, we get the, the rights back to Casino Royale. And all we have to do is give you back the rights to this stupid comic book. Like, <laughs> yeah, true. It obviously went to Sony. That's, yes, that's exactly, why yeah. it ended at Sony. And then they had to do all that legal action for it to go back to Marvel. Wasn't that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and they haven't, it's not even, Sony still retains all the rights. It's a, it's a beautiful deal for Sony. They retain all the rights, but Marvel makes the movies for them. Nice. Incredible. <laughs> nice. And the other thing about this film is that Sony is like all through it. Like all the computers, all the phones, all the tech is Sony. And the irony, I think, with the laptops is that Sony got out of the laptop market a few years back. So they did all these Bond films with their fancy laptops and then I think they stopped (laughs) making laptops. So the laptops they use in this film are redundant. But then also, so are the phones because 
This is a film before smartphones, but we'll get to that. We talked last week about the writers of The World Is Not Enough, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, although we may not have uh, mentioned them by name. But they were brought on for The World Is Not Enough. They continued for Die Another Day, which, as we discussed in last week's podcast with Nick, is not their best work. Not the best work. (laughs) And so then they started writing a draft of Casino Royale to be the next Pierce Brosnan picture after Die Another Day. Pierce Brosnan had done four films that he had been contractually obliged to do, but he was still quite keen to carry on with the role. And he's, he's spoken about how he was about 50 at the time. And even though he knew that, you know, Roger Moore stayed to 58 and people weren't that happy, he had, you know, his movies had made a shit ton of money. Despite not being great, Die Another Day was still massively successful. And he still had quite a good public persona. And I think there's a bit of retconning going on that a lot of people seem to think, oh, it was so tired. You know, nobody liked Pierce Brosnan. Die Another Day wasn't great. It got a critical panning. But at the same time, Pierce Brosnan was still pretty popular. So it was a bit up in the air as to whether he would come back. But these writers started moving on with the Casino Royale film with the express goal to bring it back from the fantastical Die Another Day and actually do a bit more of an original Ian Fleming Absolutely. type of film. Obviously, it would have jettisoned all the all of the, like, you know, Bond Begins sort of style stuff in there, like all the origin story. It would have just been another adventure. That's but- right. So that would have been a really interesting route for the franchise to take if history had gone that way. As happened, there's sort of a, a few different stories about how Pierce Brosnan finished in the role. Some say that he... Well, the kind of official thing was that he announced he was stepping down from the role, but he has said subsequently that he was on the phone to Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, the the stepbrother and sister, half-brother and sister, who children of, of Cubby Broccoli who run the show now. Children of the Broccoli. Yes. It's a very different <laughs> horror movie. <laughs> you will make a film about a spy. <laughs> They were on the phone having a speaker call, like crying, saying, thank you so much. You've been a great James Bond. Um, Bye. And he he said that he was quite shocked and stunned as to how it all kind of played out. So early 2004, Pierce confirms that he is not going to be Bond again. 14th of October 2005, Eon Productions, Sony and MGM announced at a press conference in London that Craig would be the sixth actor to play James Bond. Now, Craig was... Pretty famous, but not mega famous. Like he'd been in a lot of films, but was He was more, a jobbing actor, yeah, exactly. He was in a lot more support roles. He'd mm. never been a, a huge, massive star. And at the time He wasn't he was, a leading man, no. No, he was filming a movie with Nicole Kidman called The Invasion, which I think was like a take on the invasion of the body snatchers. Mm. Now I don't know if you remember this, guys, because I do remember it how they announced him. They actually sailed him up the Thames in a speedboat. Yes. You know, with a life jacket on and he looked all cool and everyone was like, gasp, it's the blonde Bond. The blonde Bond. Do you remember how much everyone hated Daniel Craig Mm -hmm. when he was first announced? It was like they'd said, I don't even know, like Agro was going to play James (laughs) Bond. It was insane. (laughs) Yeah. The bath mat. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me tell you that. It's not referring uh, to Pierce Brosnan's uh, chest hair. Yeah. <laughs> so it's said that uh, this is according to my research, aka Wikipedia page, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of doubt that Eon had made the right choice. Throughout the entire production period, internet campaigns such as Daniel Craig is not bond.com expressed their dissent. Not my bond.com. Not my hashtag, not my bond. Well, see, this is pre Twitter. Yeah, pre pre hashtag. For for anyone who thinks that like Twitter invented uh, toxic fandom on the internet, no, no, it didn't. (laughs) 
No, I just yeah. kind of collated it. Uh, it made it yeah. easier. You had to build a website back then. You couldn't just get it. Yeah, a- <laughs> there was a barrier to entry. You had to write, dear sir or madam editor of this newspaper, I am not crazy. I hate Daniel Craig. <laughs> so this is the thing. And so people were threatening to boycott the film. They didn't think that Craig fit the tall, dark, handsome and charismatic image of Bond to which they'd become accustomed. And the Daily Mirror ran a front page news story critical of the the casting with the headline, the name's bland, James Bland. That's pretty good. Look, I mean, I I don't agree, but it's a good headline. There's some sub editor out there going, nailed it. (laughs) <laughs> Take the rest of the day off. Yeah. And of course, then the film opens at the end of. Can, can I, I just it, jump in that? What was really interesting, the thing I'd read about this was that one of the actors considered to play the role was none other than Henry Cavill. Yes. And Henry Cavill, but he was 22 or 20. He's he very, very too young. Yes, and which makes sense. But you just go, good lord, he's now like he's like toss a coin to your Witcher. That's, 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 he's like <laughs> he's Henry Cavill now. You know, like he's yeah. Cool. He he was still Fat Cavill back then. Um, as he... Still Fat Cavill. <laughs> yeah, that was his nickname apparently, because apparently at school he was like Porky and got teased for his weight. And so what do you do when that happens to you? You just grow up to be Henry Cavill and become yeah. the most beautiful buff man in you the become, world. You become the man who has to has to cock his biceps in a possible vision film. <laughs> yes. He's um he's he's objectively beautiful though. Yeah. That oh, man, yes. he is. Man. I don't care if you're straight, bi, gay or even not even on the spectrum. He will stir things in your loins. <laughs> now I um uh, a nice gravy. Great. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> do, do you do you fall on the Superman star, side of Cavill or the Witcher side of Cavill? Um, I which one's working for you? I I don't. Unfortunately, I will never like. I feel so sorry for him because I think he'd be a great Superman, but those movies are pieces of shit oh, yes. and, and and bad and bad versions of Superman. I know, and and just I, it's not my Superman basically, but not Henry Cavill. I know he could do it really well. Okay, Very, I'm talking pure aesthetics. Like 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 is the is the fact that the movies are so shit. Oh uh, right, yeah no like he yeah, yeah he can't it, yeah it unfortunately it does. There's only one good scene right at the end of Justice League when he's like laughing with with um cyborg and I'm like oh there's Superman thank God I met him once that's great. Yeah no, I, I'm much more of a Witcher but I must be uh, it was actually the man from Uncle where I went oh who's this giant beefcake of a human being? <laughs> and I, and, and I'm, the man from uncle was a very silly film, but he's amazing in that film. So he, he plays been, James Bond basically. Yeah. I've, it's been recommended to me to watch that. Maybe that's one we should do Stu as our inspired by Bond. You've got Arnie Hammer. So you've got two giant beefcake men and one's playing James Bond and one's playing a brutish Russian spy. And they're amazing. The chemistry, anti-chemistry. It's great. It's a really fun, silly movie, but yeah, highly recommended. Just talking Henry Cavill because he's often thrown about his name is thrown about at the moment in terms of potentially race, replacing Daniel Craig again and as we've you know talked about throughout this whole podcasting experience is how many bonds were kind of considered and then rejected and then later got the role so that would be kind of fitting mm-hmm. in with that if he took the role but I don't know I feel like he's too famous as Superman and yeah. as the Witcher he's too big he's huge is he I, 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 feel, I feel he's big in the way you think of mountains as big he fills a space. Or maybe he's not. Maybe maybe it's movie magic. But he just comes across as ginormous. How could he be a spy? You have to <laughs> fill the entire bottom deck of the boat with James Bond because he can't fit anywhere else. Like he couldn't be in a DB5 because he would have to push the seat back to the back seat. And no one else can sit um, in the car with him. He's massive. Okay, well, he's 6'1", 186 oh, okay. centimetres and okay. 90 kilos apparently. 
What an asshole. I hate him. Um, Get him out. Yeah, I hate him too. And he's only 33. I don't know how that works. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. He's, 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 he's 37, I think. Yeah. Or, I was like, that's late, late old 30s. information. I to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, yeah no, yeah. he's... He's older, but which, which which makes him the perfect age to play Bond, as in because Daniel Craig was is. 38 when he became Bond. So. Well, this is the thing. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was this very um, bizarre rumor that emerged on the internet in the past few days as we record this that mm. Tom Hardy had been chosen to replace. It's a big secret, and it'll be announced, you know, when No Time to Die is released. But Tom Hardy has been chosen, and I immediately was like, No, thanks. I hate it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Oh, I can picture it. I, 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 I don't mind this. Yeah, and why I don't? It's the one role that he played, and that was in Inception when he was the heavy weapons specialist in Inception. Yes, yeah. And he goes, and just, just dream bigger, darling. And he passes someone a rocket launcher, and I went, oh, that's Bond. There's a Bond. I know it's really <laughs> odd. He's got this. He, he, I know he plays these th- brutish thuggy guys and Bane, and he plays Venom and all the rest. But he, he's a very good actor as well. He could play. He could play a British. He could play a Daniel Craig esque brick shithouse bond i think and yeah, this but do is we my, want that do we, that's do we my, want that now uh, and again i have no problem with tom hardy as an actor and i'm sure he could pull off the role absolutely no dramas mm. but he is really well known for a whole bunch of stuff bane and although not that you'd know anything he said boom, boom, boom still <laughs> rocking the whole bane is shit and then apparently we'll get, we'll whole, get there nat we'll get there we'll get there when we do raven bat you'll have to you'll have to bagsy your batman film greg that you want to come on for when we do the next uh, installation of movie reviewing which is Raven Bat, all the Batman films. You're a big Batman fan, I know that. I am. But he's really well known. He's also 43, 44, mm. and to start Bond at that age I think is just a little bit older, and I really do think that they're better off going for, like, a younger Bond. My whole theory of a Richard Madden or Kit Harrington Game of Thrones connection, <laughs> it's just, like, it's pure wishing on my part, but... They're in their earlier 30s, so kind of coming through. That's a bit of a change from, you know, the Look Daniel Craig. I mean, people have suggested Tom Hiddleston. Mm. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, who, who would have similar, been perfect, thing, but a couple of years ago. I feel like the ship sailed a little bit for him, maybe. Well, he's so well known as Loki. and apparently- oh, That doesn't mean it can't work, I don't think. I, I think he would be really good as more of a suave, but secretly very brutal Bond. Like, yes, I think he- I think he's shown that he can do what, that. What about a... What about a um, Bandersnatch Cumberbund. I think he's too kind of skinny and lanky. Okay. Great actor. I'm sure he'd pull it off. But I think he's better suited to that Sherlock Holmes slightly quirkier. I think Tom Hiddleston has kind of that sharp face that seems to parry well with Fleming's original description of Bond as having, you know, Daniel Craig's got a very fleshy, I don't mean that like fat, but he's got a rounded face. I hope, like, I hope they pick someone just like Daniel Craig is a jobbing actor that we don't even think of. But that's yeah, I mean, they, they probably will. Like Matt Smith, when Matt Smith became the doctor, I was like, yeah. Matt who? Who? And then I was like, I hate you, 26-year-old man who became the Doctor. I'll never love you. And now he's my favourite Doctor in the world. So I'm hoping they do the same with Bond. I hope so too. I think they they might stun us with, you know, some guy who's been in a few things and we're like, oh, okay, that guy. My other choice would be Sam Hewen, I think is how you pronounce it. He is the lead in Outlander, that Scottish Highlander time travel series which I've only watched the first season of because I was like, no, I've got to recap it. And even though the first season is basically just a series of shots of Sam Hewen with his shirt off, um, and yet I have not gone back because I keep going, no, I should recap it. 
So, yes, I think he would be very good. He was in a film called The Spy Who Dumped Me a couple of years ago with um, <laughs> Kate McCarthy and Mila Kunis, I think. So okay. all about a woman who turns out a boyfriend is a spy and has, you know, done her over and she gets caught up in the mess and he's the, you know, good guy spy who has to come save her and he's very, very good. Like looks good in a tux, fills out a tux, suave. So, yeah. Uh, but, yes, Henry Cavill as you mentioned, Greg, and Dougray Scott and Sam Worthington, the Australian actor, who was, like, really big in the early 2000s. He was quite – because of Avatar, I guess. And so he was considered. And then the other person I wanted to mention, because I thought this was really cool, is Carl Urban. You guys as know in, Carl Urban? As in Billy yeah, Butcher yeah. from The Boys. No. <laughs> I, I think he's in The Boys. I don't know what character yeah, that's, that's he is. Carl yeah, Urban. Yeah. That's Carl Urban. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, okay. No, so Keith, Urban's the, no, Keith Urban's the musician. Sorry, I was yes, kidding. No, not <laughs> I was getting my my I was like what the hell he could sing his own song like like um like um the Fresh Prince of Bel Air that'd be great. <laughs> my name is James Bond and I'm here to say <laughs> killing the bad guys is my whole way. That's, that's bad for that's bad for you doing rap and also that you think that Keith Urban does rap. <laughs> I was trying to reach the Fresh Prince. My name's Keith Urban and I'm here to say I'm a country singer in a rapping way. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, well look look you've got the role. <laughs> No, Carl Urban, not Mr. Nicole Kidman. Carl Urban. Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. He Damn could do uh, it, actually. Yeah, Judge um, Dredd. Oh, I missed bones. I did. He's Bones as well. Yes, he was Bones. Yeah. And he was, oh gosh, in a Lord of the Rings at some point. Yes, he yes, was. He, he was, was Aimer in Lord yes, of the Rings. Yes, he was Riders of Rohan. That always sounds like a band to me. It probably is. There's yeah. almost certainly a metal band called Riders of Rohan. Okay. Stu, you know the scene. You can just check back. <laughs> Come up with their catalogue, their Discord. If there's not, why not? That's an <laughs> awesome name. Jesus. Riders of Rohan. But I know Carl Urban from his oh, okay. time on Xena Warrior Princess. Mm. Oh, and yes. also to what a was he on that? He was like bit parts on that, right? He played two important roles. One was Cupid. So... <laughs> Played Cupid because obviously it's but like a, like a sexy Cupid and just hey he'd yes. be a great Bond then because both of them stick you with their prick and you fall in love pretty much he was so he was Aphrodite's son but of course he should have been called Eros but for some reason they went with Cupid they mostly did the Greek gods like they did Ares and not Mars and mm. uh, all that sort of stuff but for some reason they went with him with Cupid I thought maybe maybe they just didn't think Americans would understand Eros <laughs> which is a, a broader general statement which as well a little bit dirty. Yeah, exactly. But he played also Julius Caesar. Mm. And oh, really? And he was amazing. If you go back and watch the old Xena tapes and he plays Caesar and they have this long rivalry that goes dates back to him being a Roman soldier and that sort of thing. They have this massive rivalry. Like they reveal a huge backstory between Xena and Caesar and how they were in love and then he betrayed her and that, you know, helped her be like, no, I'm going to get him. And so there's this massive revenge plot. I'm getting distracted. But my point is Carl Urban is awesome i think he could make a good bond or maybe maybe he's a bit old now but i think he could have done a good job have a new zealand bond he'd be quite a brutal bond though i think he wouldn't be a suave bond in my mind anyway so let's get back on to production of this film so they they cast craig they make the film the film comes out november 2006 and proceeds to make over 600 million dollars at the box office <laughs> that's blofeld's money <laughs> it really is let's not talk about blofeld right now greg i'll just talk about <laughs> and uh, i'll get annoyed Sorry. but yeah so this film is 
phenomenal and it's pretty much gets fantastic reviews across the board. There are a few people who have a few things to say about it, but it is generally Probably just... Probably left-handed redheads. <laughs> <laughs> it's generally considered, you know, a much-needed revival of the franchise, a reboot, a refresh, a revamp, a retelling. It's loved, beloved by everyone. And that's why tonight we're going to rip it to pieces. No. <laughs> That's why tonight we're talking about the 1967 Casino Royale instead. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, Stu, do you and I want to do some one-minute challenge stuff? And Let's, uh, let's get it out there. Because we know Greg took notes. So my main point about this film is it kind of feels to me like on the rewatch, it's three different movies. There's like three distinct acts. Well, it's it's, it's definitely a three-act movie, yeah. Hey, okay, sure, Stu, use a technical term, whatever. Okay, just show me up. It's fine. <laughs> It, no, but you're right. You're right. It has very three very distinct acts, which is interesting. Yeah. So there's there's everything with Bond sort of tracking terrorists and a bomb maker and a terrorist plot, and then the poker stuff all in the middle, and then the deciding to quit MI6, run away with Vespa, and then discovering her betrayal and subsequent, you know, big coda sinking Venice thing. Mm. Use your words, Natalie. You're a writer. Well done. That whole first third with the terrorist stuff and the plane and the plot yeah. and the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda and the, the I mean, I remember vaguely the running, chasing guy on the building site parkour stuff, but oh, yes, I yeah. had forgotten all of that. Oh. Yeah, yeah I, I had too. I, I completely forgot it because you what you remember is all the casino stuff. I had completely forgotten from parkour to casino was basically just, I was like, oh, I, I don't even remember this. It's been a while since I've seen this movie. I was like, yeah. oh, that's a pleasant surprise. I like all of this. It's great. Yeah. It was just straight. It was a strange experience to be like, how did I not remember any of this? It's really <laughs> because I think all the stuff with Vesper at the end is is so distinctive. It kind of dominates my memory of the film because of the way they set Bond up as this new, really tough, really clever spy. But then he's like, no, I'm getting out before I have. I lose everything. Yeah. And then, oh wait, I've been betrayed. No, I'm back in because obviously there's nothing. <laughs> There's nothing for me to live for on the outside. <laughs> There's nothing for me to live for. I may as well be, be a nihilistic, self-destructive shell of a person just killing people for, yeah. for a living. Yeah. yeah. Well, because she, she's, I mean, that was he was, he was doing the whole, you know, I'm going to get out before I have no soul to lose. Yeah. And then, because M's like, do you want to spend more time? We don't, I mean, we're jumping to the end here. I'm sorry. But it was, and he's like, what for? And she's like, well, you've gone through a lot. And he goes, no, the bitch is dead. I'm fine. And you, obviously he's not fine. He's very sad inside. But <laughs> yes. but the, his soul's already destroyed. That's why I love this movie so much. You go, people go, why is he such a prick? And you go, this is why he's a prick. He let his armor down once and it got it got absolutely shit mixed. And, <laughs> uh, and, and basically he'll never do it again. And that's, I, I though he does, but let's not talk about future movies. But it's, yeah, I, that's why I love it. That's why I love it so much. This whole movie is just so good. Anyway. It's a, it's a very well-constructed movie. I oh. like it a great deal. Oh, God. I, yeah. would, I would suggest that it is possibly a tad long. Get out. This movie is two hours and 25 minutes. That is 15 minutes on Thunderball. Well, I actually, uh, Natalie, let me just, uh, I'll just stop you there. Let me just check my notes here. Uh, how long do you say this movie is? Two hours and 25 minutes. Right. Well, see, I, I have written here that um, Thunderball is actually uh, five weeks long. Uh, as we've discussed many times on the podcast, it's a very, very long movie. Um <laughs> aggressively punishingly long yeah um, a, a, a real... very strange departure for the for the franchise at the time and, a, and yeah. a, an experiment that i'm glad was never repeated so while this movie is <laughs> very long it's not as long as thunderball <laughs> 
And all of the underwater scenes basically involve Daniel Craig bursting out of the waves That's right, yes. in which, very which, short shorts. Yeah, which uh, improves them immeasurably. <laughs> and un- well, unlike unlike Thunderball, which ha- which died in the water, only Vesper dies in the water in this one. So it's fine. <laughs> if only she'd had a scuba tank. <laughs> Right, a pre-prepared scuba tank. Oh, that whole scene. Oh, my goodness. Oh, sorry. So I would argue that there <laughs> is probably a bit that could have come out in parts. I can't tell you exactly what or where I because... Think, I think it, my, my theory is it feels long because the movie ends, the villain has been defeated, and then there's like 30 more minutes. Yes. Because there's a whole third act. There's a whole extra yeah. bit. It would almost like that you, the movie should end and Vesper should make it to the next movie and then her betrayal is revealed in the next movie, and Bond has to deal with that then as part of the next movie, not not the third act of this movie. That might have worked. Yeah, but but as you said, like the whole point of this movie is him letting his guard down and then realizing why you can never let your guard down. Like, That's like, true. It, That's it, true. This is yeah. very much like like it, it has to be here. And they have to kind of let there be time so you can see Bond recovering from you know having his nads smashed in, which we'll get to. <laughs> And seeing Vesper, you know, fall in love with him and that that be believable, even though I would argue that it's still a strange kind of relationship. And she's she's an oddly played character. That's that's what I'll say at this point about Vesper. There's. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I feel sorry for the most, actually, is her boyfriend, her actual boyfriend, (laughs) who who she's doing all this for to save his life. And then she's like. James, no man will ever. Your little finger is more powerful than any man. Meanwhile, in some horrible cell somewhere in some country, it's it's his boyfriend going, "Oh, Vesper, she loves me. She's doing all the stuff for me. She's a lovely girl." She'll cow. make sure I get out of here. I'm going to get married to that wonderful woman, and we're going okay. to have babies. And okay. Have the best life. So, okay. So I obviously need to set a few things straight for you guys Uh-oh. they don't reveal in this movie but it is in the novel so in the novel vesper kills herself and leaves a note she for kind Bond. of does that here yeah, she, yeah, she, yes yeah. so they dramatized it and i'll get, get to because they bring in another writer for this film called paul haggis um who's worked on i think all of the subsequent bond films with uh purvis and wade Interesting note, Paul Haggis still a Scientologist at the time of writing this film. He is one of the biggest critics of Scientology, having left the church in around 2007, 2008, right. and has been sort of a repeated target now by the Church of Scientology, but still a Scientologist when he wrote this film. I thought that was interesting. That explains um, the 20-minute digression about uh, midichlorians. Yeah. No. <laughs> about Satan's counts. <laughs> It's why James Bond was subjected to a severe auditing. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> is that what Matt, Mads Mikkelsen was doing to him in the chair? It was an auditing right. session. So in the novel, Vesper kills herself and is it talks about this this other boyfriend. And in the novel, he's a Polish soldier or something like that. But it turns out that he is part of he's a Smirsch agent or no he's uh. yeah he's part of Smirsch or something like that or possibly even Spectre even though it's not named I think in the book um, he's part of this organization and he is a honey trap so his job oh. is to seduce uh. women in high powered government roles seduce them and then basically get state secrets out of them oh. and that is revealed <laughs> in Quantum of Solace like oh. tracks oh. down. And he finds him with another woman wearing the same necklace that Vesper is wearing, the Aww. Algerian. So that's yes. even sadder. No, I'm sad. Oh, no. Well, sad for Vesper. She was. Yes, yes, that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, sad yeah. for everyone. So it's like, oh, 
So she yeah. didn't need to. So she she kills herself because she has to kill herself. Otherwise, she thinks her boyfriend will die and Bond will be killed. And so her thing yeah. is, I, I oh, it's so awful. Yeah, it's really sad. It's a very tragic <laughs> story. Yeah. And so how they decide to treat Vesper then is this this weirdly aggressive. I know everything. <laughs> it's it's very odd. But then actually, she's tenderhearted in love with some other. She's and it, I don't, She's like Bond. I don't think they're very, I think they're very similar uh, to each other. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll get on to that. Yeah, so my list was the three distinct movie pieces, which I think sometimes mean that when I see the film, I'll kind of watch this one bit of it and forget about the other bit. You know, if it comes on mm. and you're because it's so long you don't often sit down and watch the whole thing, you might watch a bit and then stop. And So I think that's what happens there and why I forgot that first whole bit. I then have, we saw this in Spain, Gregoire. We sure did. Saw this in Madrid, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, having been on a holiday, I think we were in Morocco where there weren't a lot of cinemas and we got to Spain and we're like, we're going to see the Bond film, which is very, very fun. So that's a very big memory tied with me for that, which is why I was the first Bongiorno, Senor Bond. <laughs> Daniel Craig is buff. Uh, wrote that down there. And like a they... big sack of walnuts. <laughs> but not ripped. He's not ripped. He's kind of just beefcake. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. It's sort of just before the point where every male action star had to be like a bodybuilder. Mm. Or have an eight pack. And... Yeah, yeah, like, like had that, to be like absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine kind of look. Yeah. And Daniel Craig is muscular, but still he's not cut, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But he's very muscular and very buff and... He yeah. goes through walls. Other people leap through windows. He's just like, ah! <laughs> well, what, a, what a perfect piece of action is characterization. Oh, I yes. love it so much. It's, yeah, yeah. So good. What did I write? Oh, yes. Um, Tobias Menzies, another link. Oh, yes. Because around the same time that this came out, or we met Tobias Menzies, <laughs> Greg and I, and Greg may have slightly insulted him. I, well, no, I was sitting in the room. We were staying at um, Deborah Francis White's house. And, and Tom Solinsky. And Tom Solinsky. And I was sitting in the la- – everyone had gone out, and I was in the lounge room, and this man comes in, and he, I didn't know him, and he was staying at the house, and I was a guest at the house, and we sort of chatted for a bit, and – and he seemed like he seemed very nice. And I think there was a Bond on television. And he was like, oh, so oh, do you like Bond? And I was like, oh, you, you know, yes, I do. And uh, but, um, you know, it gets it gets very silly sometimes. It's all very silly and, and blah, blah, blah. And I was mouthing off something. Anyway, long story short, it's Tobias Bloody Menzies. He's right. in the latest in the latest Bond film. I'm like, let me tell you about Bond films, Tobias Menzies. And, <laughs> and he was very gracious and he didn't say a word and, and he went off to bed. And then late, later on, I, I recounted the story to our, our host, Deborah, and Deborah was like, oh, do you know who he is? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh my God. So supposedly he didn't care. I mean, he just thought it was funny more than anything else. In fact, he liked the fact that I didn't know. Like, that was like one of those, mm. I hadn't picked up who he was. He was basically, in my mind, Money Penny, I realized later on, but without calling him Money Penny. Yeah, yeah he, he's he's in a Money Penny style role, mm. although he's not technically Money Penny in this. No, in this, his, yeah. his character's name is Villiers. I like him, his character as well because. Where everyone else is like, this woman's dead and she's on a hammock and she's being mutilated. And Bond's like, I don't care. And M's like, I'm hard as nails. He vomits. He yeah. vomits, yes. He, and he I was still like, has a, a soul. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's good. At least there's someone out there going, a woman has been brutalized and tortured and murdered. And that's the response you probably should have is this is hmm. bad. Instead of going, damn it, Bond, stop shagging chicks. Yes, ma'am, I won't shag chicks. Yes, you're a bad <laughs> monkey. I'm a bad monkey. Yeah, it was interesting. So I also then wrote down M misses the Cold War. So you 
first oh, see her kind yes. of coming out of a meeting and ranting about... It's a good about, line. It's a good line. It, it Christ, is a good I, line. Christ, I miss the Cold War. It is, but it's it, it also kind of counters, given the fact that in GoldenEye, she's set up as, like, the new head of MI6. Yes. Who talks about the Cold War is over. You're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. Mm. So I was just like, oh, that's... Funny, but there's a whole continuity issue with Judy Dench being M in this film. And I was going to say, I actually wrote this down on my list, Natalie, but this might be the time to talk about it. Controversial opinion from a macro level, looking at the series as a whole, not just this film, but as the series, was it maybe a mistake to bring Judy Dench back? So the reason why they did yeah. is to have some continuity so that, and people, she was very popular in the role. But the whole point is that this shouldn't have continuity. This is Bond Begins. This is is the very first movie. Exactly. Yeah, I think that they... It breaks the continuity into tiny pieces. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This this whole movie does, though, I mean, honestly, because he, I mean, there's no Tracy anymore. Now it's Vesper Lind. So no, but I think Tracy was still in the, in his future. Like I think that that oh, was the idea that Tracy would eventually happen. But oh, okay. this was his first love. Okay, right, right, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and maybe the Madeline Swan character is supposed to be the Leah Sadu character from. Oh, I think that's what they're going for. Is it and she, the new she's one? Pretty she's much a Tracy Bond sort of uh, role, but yeah, you know, I think you know the the fact that we we've seen M with Pierce Brosnan, he's been the established character and she's been the new person. And then suddenly she's training up a brand new bond. It just shatters continuity. Mm. Yeah. And I think that they did it. If that matters. I mean, it doesn't matter in this film, but as a series as a whole, it's weird. When you are watching them in order and quite soon after each other, you're like, yeah, why is it her? And I mean, look, you know, if you have Judy Dench, you bring Judy Dench That's back. That's right. Mm-hmm. She was hugely yeah. popular. She loved doing the role. Yeah. Apparently, when they eventually wrote her out, she was actually really sad. <laughs> <laughs> because you would be. You like, you get to be the coolest boss. Yeah, it's fun. Character. You get to show up, do a do a couple of scenes, and be in a fun action movie. It's good. Yeah, just be a killer, you know. And she and be like, cold as ice as well. Like it's like Bond. Don't break into my house again. Yes. And it wasn't like it, it wasn't like it. Oh, I'll have you killed. I mean, she, she makes a line before as a joke almost, but but she just says she just goes really serious. Don't break into my house again, and closes the door. And you're like, ooh, <laughs> bad things will happen to you if. Yeah, if you and then there's the another there's another thing where he's like, oh, he's broken into the computer using your password, and she's just like, how does he know these things? Yes, yes. <laughs> I love the fact also the husband, her husband's just in the yeah. bed next to her. He's yeah, just sleeping. Yeah. He's just like, I don't know who he is. Who She's cares? In this incredibly plush bed. And the husband's just like, <laughs> I kind of wish they'd got the guy from, um, the, oh, what was oh, it? Jeffrey Palmer back. Yes. Yes. I just had him lying in the bed asleep next. Just, just a, just as a throwback for, for people who have no, well, no one would care except for me. Yeah, so M is incongruous in this film, in the sense that it's a new Bond, but there's... Well, uh, well, not in this uh, film. That's the interesting thing, because in the film, she works perfectly well, and, and it, she, she plays it fantastically, and yes, it's great. right, yeah. But, but in terms of a series, it's weird. It's it would just have a been, weird thing. It would have been better to do the full reboot, but yeah. I think they were dealing with Judy Dench being super popular, wanting sure. to probably continue, and, you know, they said they're not wanting to change everything. <laughs> The line that she says that makes me laugh, though, is she goes, oh, Christ, I knew you were too young for the role. Like, he's 30! <laughs> 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 I 
38. Yeah. Like he's he's you know any older and he'll be like Zimmer framing up and down MI6. Like hey, can we not bag people over 38? No, no, no well, yeah, I'm trying to say he's he's a super <laughs> spy. He's meant to be. I mean, not like, not for me, just for people who are over 38. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah, he's he's a super spy. He can't like and, and the idea that's why you go younger Bond. He's not a young man. He's a middle aged man. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, well, you only a 50 year old super spy is 007s and 00s. That seems weird to me. That's why they well, don't live very long. They, that's right. Percent, they have a stroke. <laughs> yeah, they send these broken old men out to kill yeah. people. And it's not even the job. It's like they're having their victory sex and their heart gives out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'll get back to my list. I like the fact that they do a lot of placing of the Bond I mean, obviously they don't have really any gadgets, but they place a lot of the conventions and the tropes as beginning in this film. So that you see him win the Aston Martin, 1964 Aston Martin, you see him win that from the terrorist funder guy in the game. Demetrios. Demetrios in uh, the Bahamas. He throws that into the pile in a game of Texas Hold'em and you see Bond win that and then drive it around. I don't really understand the flourish as to why he drove the hot chick around the roundabout in the car. He, because he's um, he's boyish. He has boyish charm. She's like, you're just like everyone else. Whatever, take me home. And he's like, I'll take. Well, you know, take me to Shag. And he drives her in a circle. He's, he's he has a sense of humor. Where her husband Demetrios is sort of serious murderer. She knows that Bond is a bad man as well. He's about to shag a, a married woman. But he but he's got a sense of humor, and she finds that boyish and charming. I know yeah. I did. <laughs> What's the line, um, Zap Brannigan? The, the way to women's, uh, the way to a woman's heart and parts beyond. I speak, of course, of karaoke. But in this case, it, <laughs> but in this case, it's humour. Uh, it's it, she, she falls for him because of his, his funniness. And this Bond is quite funny, but not wacky. He's not going to get in a clown suit. He's, but he's dryly comedic and also sarcastic he's got this but he has a comedy to him mm. yeah yeah definitely and i find it really interesting that he kind of turns it off and on as needed like like he's wearing it a bit as a mask like mm. like it's definitely something that he uses as a tool rather than something that's in him innately i'm gonna guess it comes from the same place because later on with vesper and on the train it's the whole concept that he was an orphan and he and the only way to survive that is by being funny and being the, the wacky guy and it was like oh you're okay poor kid and they don't beat you up so that's my <laughs> guess yeah but his lines his lines are even kind of discussed in a meta fashion in the film like i think vesper even says oh that's mm. a good line he's like i thought it was a good line like there's mm. it's mm. almost like the the baby steps of his suave puns like there's no real puns in this apart from i think when vespa says i'm the money and he says every penny of it. every penny there's so many um, come on the other other great line is how is your lamb skewered skewered I yes eyes. yeah come on that's a great bond line it's, it's oh yeah 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 but it's he does quite a few he's not he's not like yeah he doesn't like do an eye winking thing to the camera it's but it's much he, drier Yes, yeah. The delivery is much drier. And he's not doing it to the fourth wall. He's doing it for someone. Yeah. Like we're, we're talking yeah. about the movie, one movie from, you know, Christmas Comes Once a Year. So. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing, you know, about Bond being rebooted. Yes, it's rebooted, but there's still a lot of common elements. You know, you've got the same writing team with Paul Haggis as an extra. You've got a lot of the you same production tell. design. You can't tell. Cut staff peter lamont who's production designer who came in a lot after ken adam left the series so he's still involved there you've got the same guy doing the opening title scene daniel kleinman who'd been doing them since goldeneye 
I remember uh, when you said in Go- Goldeneye, then, when you in your podcast at Goldeneye, you were like, oh, that's all the same people. It's a breath of fresh air. And it absolutely is. And I think you see it here very strongly, even oh, though man. it's they just went, clear the decks, let's go. Put everything back in the box that we want to keep. We won't have gadgets. We won't have Q. We won't have this sort of stuff. Put what we want in there that we need to, to use and use it for the story and for character development, mainly character development, to be honest. Mm. And you get this, you, you say, but clear away the chaff. Don't you don't just have a, a crazy a man with a you know a, with a club foot and a and you know femme fatale and you, you know you don't have to have all these crazy things in there or gadgets and a pen that fires lasers to space or something. I mean, Vesperlind is pretty much an OG femme fatale. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, there's look. I think I have, I have opinion um about all the women in this i think all the women of different sorts of bond girls that in from bond history all of them vespa valenka and solange are all are all different sort of bond women mm. so continuing on with that point so you see him win the aston martin you see him ordering the cocktail for the first time the vodka martini and he actually mm. spells out the ingredients in the game mm. you see vespa give him a tailored tuxedo mm. for yes for the so game because he gives her a dress. He's like, I need you looking fabulous. Can you do that for me? And she's like, mm-hmm. And then goes out to his bedroom to find she's put a tux on. He's like, I already have a dinner jacket. She's mm. like, there are dinner jackets and then there are dinner jackets. And it, it's, it's tailored. How yes. did you? And she goes, I sized you up the moment I saw you. <laughs> oh, Fantastic. It's so good. Oh, that's why and they're he, amazing for each other because she's not a victim. She's not a victim. Oh, God, no. God, no. But, um, yeah, so she – I will say in that scene, though – I've got to say, her makeup application is just the worst. She's literally, <laughs> she's literally applying mascara before actually applying any other eye makeup. It's not how it's done. And then you see her sort of like telling Bond off or something and she's just waving a brush kind of over her eyebrow. Like she's not doing anything. She's just like waving a brush. And when she turns up at the actual event, she's like full smoky-eyed glam and her hair. I was like, yeah, you got someone in. <laughs> Bond well, left. And that's a very makeup. expensive, very expensive hotel. I bet you just put it on the on the uh, corporate the card. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, MI6 just, will pay for this. That was just something I noticed. I was like, that makeup application is bollocks. You don't put your <laughs> mascara on before anything mm-hmm. else. <laughs> mascara is the last thing you do. <laughs> Typically, I'm just saying. So what did I then have? Yeah, so that that kind of the evolution of all the Bond little thingies, ultimately climaxing with him delivering the line. The name's Bond, James Bond, at the oh, very, very end. Oh, my oh my God. So I think that that's... Oh, really, my God. <laughs> I think that that's really well done, the way that they kind of bring all these little bits in and start to form and shape like plasticine, you know, Bond. And at that moment, when he says that line for the first time, the Bond theme, the classic yes. Bond theme plays. Yes. I had goosebumps that whole Mr. White, and he gets the phone call, and, and he drives up and gets the phone call, and it's like, Mr. Mr. White, I think we need to talk. Who is this? Bang! Shot in the leg. And I, I had goosebumps going, oh, I know, I remember what happens now. And it's just, he's crawling for his life, and it's just... Everything, as you just said, Nat, Vesper had trained Bond. I mean, well, Bond was trained, obviously, to be a spy, but she'd made him Bond, like, by her betrayal and by giving him suits and explaining what was a gentleman needs. The, all these parts of Bond finally crystallised at that one moment. When and that's, Oh, yeah. my God, it's so And he's good. in a three-piece suit. Yes. Which is yes. the other thing, which yes. he's not in. And if you notice, like, he And it's starts... the baby blue. It's the duck egg blue. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, good point. 
So at the very start of the film, when we see him, and we should talk about the pre-credit sequence, which I failed to mention in my list, but you see that black and white atmospheric confrontation between Bond and Dryden, who's obviously an insider, you know, on the take, and he's been sent to kill him. And then there's flashbacks to the other kill that he's just made, and it's this very violent fight. Wonderfully violent fight, yeah. In a, in a toilet, um, which ends with him uh, shooting Dryden and just saying, yes, considerably, you know, the second one's easier. So I can I say that that fight, I love that fight, and because Dryden says, oh, he made you feel it, didn't he? As in, as in, when you murdered that man, like, you lost some of your soul, which comes through for the rest of the movie, of course. It's, it comes back. well-written movie that, you know, he, he says right at the start, but he drowns the guy, and Bond's not like, oh, I'm drowning a man, ha, 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 you know, bottoms up, or, or you know, I, I like it, my martini's dry. As he Can't handle his drink. Yeah, yeah, whatever. He's like, you see it in his face. He's like, I'm killing a man, and I'm yeah. killing him, and I'm no longer fighting him to death. He like has time a man. to think about it. Yeah. yeah, and you see it, and you see him, and, and then he kills him, and then he steps back, and you see the disgust and the horror of what he's done. Uh, and I just went, oh, it's so good. Oh. So he's, he's in a suit in that because you see him pick up the gun and do the turn, and, of course, mm-hmm. that's the gun barrel shot. So he had to kind of be in a suit to make that shot work. But for the rest of the film up until the casino uh, game, he doesn't wear suits very often. I think uh, he I noticed is, that they've got him in baggy clothes or they've his, got him in jackets mm-hmm. and things. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and partic- I mean, obviously when he's in Madagascar and then the Bahamas, it's hot climate, so he's in mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, white shirts or patterned sh- Hawaiian shirts and stuff like that. You know, he does that whole big running parkour scene in like a Hawaiian shirt, he yeah. slacks, yeah. and then he rocks up to the ocean club in the Bahamas wearing this essentially a very similar colour scheme to what the valets wear, hence mm-hmm. why he gets thrown the keys to <laughs> once again guys. showing his sense of humor by by crashing the man's car into the other people's car yeah so. yeah because he deserves it you know yeah yeah that's, that's a very it's a cool moment but it's also and it's 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 for a purpose but it felt very uh like animal house sort of style humor as well it was yeah. very very slightly out of place but but I, he, I liked it i thought it was also once again he didn't grow up with money so he's going to show these rich pricks what's what so That's true. Yeah, he's got a chip all these assholes. Yeah, he's got a chip on his shoulder about being poor. So, yeah. Though he's not poor anymore, he must earn bucket tons of money as a spy. But he, he, yeah, he, he's got to get his own back, and he'll just damage other people's cars to get what he wants. He doesn't care. Yeah, it's so, so good. I, it is, but I think it's that it's that whole progression of him becoming the very, very well dressed spy by the very end. You know that that figure is then formed. I was thinking of it now, though. My name is Bond, James Bond. I'm like, oh, it's the best. I think it's the only time it's been done better was by Sean Connery. Even then, I'm not even sure if it was better. They're it in was my just mind. The first. Just the first, but they're yeah, equal in my mind. It's, well, look, I agree to disagree. He uh, needs a cigarette. <laughs> He's got a massive gun, but it's he's no got a massive cigarette. gun, and, and trust me, I think it's an AR-15, and probably not actually, but it's a giant. It probably smokes a lot more than a cigarette, so that's fine. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I, I love that that final scene, and you just I remember out of my mouth, out of nowhere, I, I, no one was in the room with me. I just went, "Oh, you're in trouble, Mr. White." Like I just, <laughs> it's just this moment of, "Oh, you've you've done goofed, boy." Like, "Oh, he's going to." 
he's not just going to kill you. He's going to disassemble you. <laughs> and you're going to sing everything. You're going to give all the information away. And then he'll kill you. Like, it's, oh, my goodness. It's, he's, yeah, terrifying. That Bond, that version of Bond, not the suave Timothy Dalton Bond or the, or even the, uh, or even the um, Pierce Brosnan Bond is, you, you don't want to get on his wrong side. He will go up and down you and take you apart. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, he's I just the got first, distracted. The first, Daniel I just Craig got distracted the by first. the phrase, he'll go, he'll go up and down you. I was like, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> just me or is it warm in here? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, I also wrote down, just getting to the end of my list now, I wrote um, Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre is uh, fabulous with his bleeding eyes and his tells and his, you know, and his asthma puffer and how he is a villain, but he's also up shit creek. Like the whole reason for the tournament is because he's lost yeah. money. He's been gambling with terrorists' money and lost on the stock market, so has to do this poker game so he can win and because he's a you know mathematician genius. So, but he doesn't count on Bond. And also, he's he goes through <laughs> in that middle that middle segment that the second act. He goes through a very similar story to Bond, as in they're both playing poker. They're both attacked. They both have to come back after the attack. Mm. Both their girlfriends are put in danger. A very, they follow a very similar yeah. pattern. Not exactly the same, but they're mirrored once again, one on di- mm. same different sides of the same coin. Uh, once again, I keep thinking it's a very well-written movie. Mm. There's also the um, with that poker scene, the, the, the well, Daniel Craig being poisoned and having to jumpstart his heart and rescued by... Po- poisoned Vesper. by Valenka, by the girlfriend of Mad Nixon, yes. Le Chiffre's girlfriend. I find it really interesting because I read somewhere they're saying, oh, she's just a like a girlfriend on, on Le Chiffre's arm. You're like, just, no, she's not. Because they try and... The Ugandans, you know, grab her and they're going to cut her. And he's like, oh, we'll cut her arm off. And, and he's like, well, you should get a better boyfriend and, and leave her. But later on, she's still with him and his partner poisons bond she tortures vespa she's there when vespa is dumped on the road and the car mm. crashes she's always around i don't know if they're equal i wouldn't say uh the Schiffer and valenka are equal she's but she's henchwoman. not she's a henchwoman yes and yes exactly right and she's she's she never, capable she very rarely speaks she mm. virtually has about five lines in the whole well, neither does odd job yeah okay sure all right <laughs> i think I, I i'm really impressed with her because she's not a victim and she's scared when someone's going to cut her hand off which is fair enough but she doesn't go oh well you're right le Chiffre, you didn't defend my honor i'm out something silly like that she she knows the score and yeah. she knows she knows which way which way her bed's buttered and she's also there because she wants to be there and it gets her killed at the end too so mm. <laughs> it's, it's yeah i find her really interesting Valenka. i wish she had more to do but then again, we would have, it would have been like an almost Thunderball-length movie at that point. So, But, yeah, interesting character. So we also saw Felix Leiter, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> I think this is like kind of the first film I, I really saw Jeffrey Wright in. And, of course, he's famous now for Westworld, isn't it? But, um, mm, you know. He plays, good, he's Arnold in Westworld, yeah. Great character actor. But, yeah, I love the depiction of Felix as very smooth, more experienced. I love the line when it's like, I'll stake you the money, but you have to give us the collar to buy. Bond. Yes. And Bond's like, well, what about the hundred million dollars? He just gives us weird smile. Does it look like we need the money? I was like, oh, such <laughs> so a great American. line. So, so American. American. That's right. Yeah. But he's just—he's all smug bullshit. Well, like, oh, well, so well, well. Bond literally has, you know, Vesper there to keep an eye on him, and and he can only access his extra five million if she approves it. Yes. If she doesn't. Yes. <laughs> like, so was she American ever going character. to approve it? Like, was she ever going to do that? Why did they even? Why did they even think that? That would happen. 
she comes back downstairs and he's playing and she's and she, in fact she has a march and was like where the hell did this money come from like it's she's, yeah she's, yeah she's, it must be weird for her to go hang on a minute what happened i did didn't I, give you that money did i goof what happened here <laughs> so i i yes yeah, so i did like the poisoning and finding oh. your own heart is is a lot of fun him him trying to make himself vomit and then stumbling out to the car and um, and all the all the Q people going, no, Bond, you need to stick a vein in the vein and get the drugs in there, but don't do it now. Do it now. Yeah. No, do it now. 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 That's because Desmond Llewellyn wasn't there leading the charge. That's mm. their problem. I wanted to say something with Desmond Llewellyn, who's just, you know, I don't get to talk about because this is the first one I've done. But I discovered that he didn't make his fortune on Bond. In fact, he got paid very little to play Q. Yeah, he got paid day rates right up till the end. Yes. Yep. And he was happy with that. He was, he was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, he wasn't supposedly angry about that because he enjoyed – kind of you're saying that you get to be M and you get to have some fun with it. No, Desmond Llewellyn was like, no, it's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think he got some advertisements and things like that out of Q. Like, you know, Mm. he would get hired to go be the Q character in other ads and things like that. But, yeah, no, he was certainly not a a hugely wealthy man (laughs) from, you know, being a part of this incredibly. You would have thought that given the amounts of money that those films were making by the Brosnan era, they could have tossed him (laughs) a bonus. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so then the other thing I wanted to mention about the casino portion of the movie was the stairwell fight and then Vesper's mm. kind of hiding in the shower mm-hmm. business. I found on this rewatch, and I know that you guys will probably love it, but I found the way he, like, sucked her fingers just a tad. It's creepy. weird. It's weird. Okay, okay, good. Okay, good. I'm not the <laughs> only If you jump into the sucking, that's fine. But I, um, <laughs> pardon the expression. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I love the fact that she, he's like, run, get out, go. And he's trying to protect her because she's sassy and strong, but she's not a secret agent. So she she's doesn't here, know. Exactly. But I love the fact that she goes, oh my God, Bond needs help. And she comes forward and knocks the gun out of the Ugandan warlord's hand. But then the cost of yeah. that is her soul. She loses a bit of her soul. Because she, she has contributed to his death. Uh, and, and, and they an, and both have death. to sit there. And again, it's it's a slow death where he strangles him. Mm-hmm. And they both have to sit there and watch him die. And mm-hmm. it's it was upsetting. drumming feet drumming on the ground, that yeah. kind of. And it's, I love the fact it's not a neck break. It's not like, and, and break it at the end. I think he twists the neck, but I don't think it breaks. No, and, and so, he, it's, it's a strangulation. He strangles yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, and then Bond does an amazing thing, which police do, which is clear commands. Go tell Ma- Mathis... This has to be done. The bodies are hidden here. Go, do it now, do it now. And mm. he just yells at her and she just responds because that's what the brain does when you shut down. And I love the little things like that. And he gets over it because he's Bond and he's a double O. But when he sees her, he comes looking for her and he opens the door and she's in the shower because he thinks, oh, she's tough. She's fine. She's a hard ass. And then she's not coping well. And, and he makes a decision to go sit with her. The sitting I love, the sucking of the fingers is odd, uh, I admit. It's a, it's a forced intimacy, which makes sense for the character progression. You want to believe that they've just gone through something quite traumatic. And so they, they've forged an instant sort of bond, to, to mm. not to make a pun. But uh, I think in abstract, it is a bit, a bit weird. I mean, it makes sense. It all, it all tracks. Like she says, oh, it feels like I've got blood on my hands. And he says, give them here. Mm. And, yeah, I feel like he could have just washed them like put them under the running water and kind of like held her hand and kind of it's a strange thing to do but but it is it's an intensely intimate gesture which Mm. is to to show that they've had this this forging moment yeah i don't know i just feel i i get what you mean Stu. i don't disagree with you but i feel like if you're vespa and you've been kind of traumatized by watching this and then all of a sudden bonds there sucking your fingers like i don't know it's maybe like 
why are you doing that? I'm leaning my, my, on you my wife, now. My wife actually rolled her eyes when she saw that, and she was like, oh, God, because she thought it was going to proceed to a sex scene. And mm. then, oh, oh okay. that would be awful. <laughs> yeah, and that's why. She was like, oh, my God. And then it didn't. Like, he just sort yeah. of held her in the shower because she needed someone to be there for her. And she was like, oh, actually, that, that works quite a lot better than I thought it did. And he doesn't shag her until – well, she basically shags him. So it's – and that's amazing when you realise because a lot of the time he beds – not Daniel Craig's Bond, but he beds his – co-host quite early and then they just yeah. learn to like him at the end most like, other bonds <laughs> would have had sex with yes. her at that point it's really you go to show that this he does well he, at that moment he's not a well he, well, he has slept with a married woman already um uh, they didn't really sleep together they just kind oh, of oh he didn't though that's yeah. right he left yeah he left she was like licking his nipples etc cetera, etc cetera. that's pretty good that's... <laughs> i must admit i remembered it as because she disappears out of shot and like oh are we about to get, like, Daniel Craig's I'm getting oral sex face? This is going to get weird. And it was like, oh, no, no, it never reaches that far. It's fine. <laughs> so then just to finish off my list, I had the technology stuff is really fun, given that there are no smartphones yet in this film. <laughs> so they're all dealing Speaking with the old phones. text keyboards and uh, that sort of thing. Finally, just as you were talking about, Greg, with uh, Mr. White being shot, that's setting up for a sequel. I remember being slightly confused by that, um, I think because I hadn't really grokked that Mr. White was sort of a consistent character through the mm. film. So this time I sort of was able to sort of pick him and go, oh, okay, so he's there with Le Chiffre in Uganda mm. getting the money or, you know, helping him secure the money. As he said, I'm just, I'm just introducing you. We're I'm not... just introducing you. Yes. And then he turns up somewhere else. He's the one who ends up shooting Le Chiffre, you know, yes. spoilers. Yep. That's the only reason Bond makes it out is that they leave Bond alive. Vesper, no, Vesper makes a deal. She that's, makes a deal. That's right. That's why she's alive. And then he turns up at the very end in Venice to collect the money, which mm-hmm. um, you think sort of gets lost in the sinking building, but actually somehow he manages to to rescue it from the water and disappears and then he's shot at the end. So I kind of was able to grok him, but I think in the first, you know, being kind of overcome by the spectacle of Casino Royale, at the end, I was like, well, who's who's he? And then, of course, this sets this up for an immediate move into Quantum of Solace as a sequel. What do you guys think about ending James Bond on a essentially a cliffhanger? I mean, it's kind of a cliffhanger, but I mean, like if, if they if the next film had nothing to do with this, I wouldn't be disappointed. I think this is a wholly self-contained film. Yes. And I, I agree. If it, it, I think they made a mistake by making all these like so one after the other, bang, 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 and one story. Bond could torture the living heck out of White and get all the information, but White is still probably part of a cell, not part of he, – he's not like best buddies with Blofeld. Yeah. So it only leads to the next level, and then you say, oh, well, that well Bond, that trail went cold. Yes, it did, Em. I'm very angry. Anyway, here's a fun adventure in the Bahamas. Let's go. You know, it's it's – and by the way, Blofeld's next minion turns up again, and you can yeah. drip feed information, and then four movies in, you go, by the way, I'm the master of your own demise or whatever. <laughs> you know. It's, the architect it's, of your pain. Yeah, but not in, the, not in the dumb way. Like, you could actually oh. go, Blofeld is... Like, yes, they could have easily drip-fed it more as they went through. And have people going, we don't know who paid for this. Who got this man out? What's going on? And you go, oh, my God, there's a, another organisation out there. And everyone goes, it's Spectre, we know. But it's like... <laughs> 
Well, it's, do, yeah, because it's like quantum. It, it, it turns out to be quantum in Quantum of Solace. Like, it's not mentioned here. It's just the organization. Mm. But I do it's, love that they were keeping their options open. They were like, there's a mysterious evil organization that mm. we are not going to name because we don't have the rights to it yet. Mm-hmm. But it's out there. We're just setting that up. Just laying that groundwork. That's right. And we are going to see as we progress through the movies if it all pieces together. Because <laughs> you've got to admit, it is a bit weird to have, like, the shadowy organisation Quantum is a front for an even shadowier organisation called Spectre. <laughs> okay, Stu, your list. My list, okay. I started with Bond Begins. <laughs> uh, which is very much I think uh, Batman Begins one year before this one. Um, mm. There was a lot of prequels and 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 those sorts of movies coming out around this time. I remember these were the two big ones, but I think there was a lot of others where they're just sort of like, what if we see, you know, how this all happened? And there was a lot of that happening in cinema at the moment. So so it was definitely time for the franchise to do something like this. It's interesting that it decided to go. Let's do the prequel. Mm. I thought it was very strange. What a coup to get Casino Royale as your prequel, though. Yeah. That's yeah, that's exactly. such a like the actual first Bond novel. You just imagine someone went, we've got the novel, and you go, oh my god, prequel, because this is the first book. It, yeah. The stars align, yeah. and I just know I'm about to get two-thirds of a billion dollars. <laughs> the next thing on my list was You Know My Name. What a great oh. one song. Oh. <laughs> what so, a fantastic It is mighty, yeah. It's I mighty. see this referred to very disparagingly sometimes in lists of Bond uh, movies. I saw this put last on a list of Bond themes. Last. Chris Cornell, as he's Soundgarden, isn't he? That was yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a spectacular Bond song. I'm going to put it up there with one of the best, easily in the top five. Top five? And, Maybe song. top three? Yeah, maybe. And what's what's interesting is I love the song. I, I love the, I have the song. I own it. I love that song. I've listened to it very a lot actually. But what's interesting is the version they play in the movie is not the radio edit, I don't think. They don't sound quite the same. Oh, the, okay. the, the movie version, it sounds a bit softer and a bit not quite as power ballady. It's something weird about it. I I'm, I'm not a musician. I don't really know. They, sort of, they grunged it up for the radio edit. Yeah, yeah. And I think that – so I really love the grunginess of, of the like the sound garden-y feel of it. So maybe that's what they're complaining about. But it's a great song. It's a great song. Sorry, I'm on a roll now. Uh, it's a great song because it discusses the movie and this Bond. The odds will betray you and I will replace you and all, all the stuff about Bond. Hmm. But it doesn't then go, in the Casino Royale. Yes, I know. Yeah. The and and the temptation would have been there to do that. Yes. And and, and and doesn't even specifically mention, it's like, you know my name? Remember, um, you mentioned it in GoldenEye, you know his name, you know his number. Like, yeah. That's the ad. Same thing here. You go. Yeah. And then in the in the Skyfall song, Adele actually sings like, you know my number, you can have my name. So, yeah, it's a recurring theme for Bond. But, again, this song was co-composed by David Arnold, who was the musician, uh, sorry, the, what do you call it, composer. <laughs> from Tomorrow Never Dies onwards. So he stayed and Daniel Kleinman, who did the title sequence from GoldenEye, is still there doing them. So you've got a lot of the same people, but they're just reinventing and trying new things. And with that theme, Daniel Kleinman actually based that really bright, colourful red, green and the, the arrows in the hearts and that sort of thing. It's based on one of the original Casino Royale book print covers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're really striking, strong imagery. And they deliberately left out the female silhouettes. Yes, yes. I was going to say that. Bond yeah. becomes the the object of desire. They, we, we're looking at his body. We're looking at his eyes, like his amazing blue eyes. You see Vesper Lynn's face once when the Queen of Hearts goes past. 
and that's it. And I was really impressed by that because it's him in what I would call bodybuilder poses. He kind of points in a weird direction and points a gun and it fires and then he points and, and it's like, oh, we're objectifying him now, not the girls, which I thought was interesting. So the idea behind it was to it, that the female silhouettes wouldn't fit with the concept of Bond in this film, you know, falling in love. It wouldn't fit so that they went with the, you know, the knife fights and... and he's, a, he's a brutal man. He's a brutal man who murders yeah. people. And so we show him brutally murdering people. Now, I have a theory as well. And I, I, I don't... I've not read this anywhere. There's a part in that theme song when... Oh, well, sorry, in the credits, where all these bodies are slumped on the ground and they're all dead. Mm. And then he steps over them. The silhouette, they're all in silhouette. And I am positive they're meant to be the other Bond actors. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, one is bigger and thicker. One is thinner. And I was like, well, that's Roger Moore. That's Timothy Dalton. That's Sean Connery. That's Piers Brosnan. I went, I'm positive that's what this is meant to be. And then you see the living Daniel Craig walking over them. And they're all like bleeding from cuts. And I was like, am I just insane at this point? Like, am I, am I just reading too much into it? Because if, if, it's, if, it's, if it is, if someone's put that in, it's genius. And if not, they should just claim it anyway. <laughs> I think that would be a weird message to send to the other, most of them at that time still living Bond actors. Um, but, you know. Yeah, all of them at that time. Yeah. I can read you something that Roger Moore said about this film, actually, just speaking of. Um... <laughs> no, 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 no. It's great. It's great. He was very excited by the film. He wrote, Daniel Craig impressed me so greatly in his debut out in Casino Royale by introducing a more gritty, unrefined edge to the character that I thought Sean Connery might just have to move over. Craig's interpretation was like nothing we'd seen on screen before. Jimmy Bond was earning his stripes and making mistakes. It was intriguing to see him being castigated by M just like a naughty schoolboy would be by his headmaster. The script showed him as a vulnerable, troubled and flawed character, quite the opposite to my bond. Craig was and is very much the bond Ian Fleming had described in the books, a ruthless killing machine. It was a bond that the public wanted. So impressed was more that he chose to buy the DVD. <laughs> High praise indeed. Can I... you imagine what they're not sending him DVDs yes. of Bond films? He is a bond. You would think that you would get invites to the premiere screening and you get sent a nice gift pack of the latest he has to go to his local Virgin Megastore in, in 2006 and pick up a, oh, a DVD. I wish so, I had a sketch of Roger Moore just popping into the Virgin Hello, store. do you have any Bond, James Bond uh, DVDs? Oh. <laughs> Daniel Craig's latest. I, um, I'm going to go with, with Sir Roger and say I absolutely agree to the point where Daniel Craig is my favourite Bond. <gasps> Sean Connery, yep, fine, great. But I think, once again, it's Sean Connery did it first, and it's almost Daniel Craig is... Once again, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, and you can look at what everyone else has done, and you can take it somewhere else. And I just think maybe it just fits the time better for me. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but something about Daniel Craig's portrayal, I find electrifying when i saw because nat you always the bond person not so much me i i enjoyed it through osmosis and i enjoyed them but they were silly films for me and even how even, dare you oh it's fine it's, 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 it's okay and even pierce brosnan that golden eye is really good but it's still kind of a bit wacky and fun and all the rest and that's great that's really fine and then this movie came out and especially after that i saw horrible that tomorrow never dies just die another day no die, die another, another day, day. Yeah. yeah yeah and and i was like so i came into this movie movie going the bar there's no bar i'm not even 
Nah, it's not a steeplechase. I'm just I'm gonna amble through this movie. Who cares? And came out going, I am a Bond fan. Yeah, <laughs> I, you had a much much deeper like oh, reaction. It got me, and it got me hard, and for lots of different reasons, and all the callbacks, all the bits and pieces, the lions like uh, you know vodka martini, shaken or stirred. Do I look like I give a damn? Like <laughs> yes, thank you, because he's pissed. Like, he's so angry, and I just, I loved his barely concealed rage at nearly every moment of his film. He's the Fight Club Bond, that's why you like him. Yeah, may, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, no, I, I think he's a, it's a great Bond in a spectacular movie. Yeah, I just, oh, oh so good. <laughs> Do you think that they did something electronically with his eyes? Because they are so blue, they look like computer enhanced. They are the, the colour of a winter sky. It's very, very strange. Like, it's insane. <laughs> and at certain points you, like, see him in shadow and you just see the eyes. And I'm mm-hmm. like, they, they must have done something to the colour balance of that. Cause in, the, um, in the credits, they must have. Because he walks towards the camera and it's a silhouette. And then it turns into him, and it's just, then the silhouettes him back, and just his eyes are showing. But even in some bits of the film, it's oh. like they're so they'd like. I mean, Daniel in. Craig does have like piercing blue eyes. So. He well, he does he does for sure. And Bond is supposed to have blue eyes. Mm. He's supposed to have dark hair and blue eyes. But yeah, he definitely has those piercing blue eyes. But I feel like they had to have ramped up the saturation or something. <laughs> like otherworldly, like Fay or something. Stu, how's your list going? Sorry. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're getting through it. The next thing uh, on my list was A Twist That Works, which mm. I thought was very uh, was very cool. I, I, I remember when I first watched this movie, completely bought into Bond and Vespa. I was genuinely shocked and devastated when she turned on him. <laughs> Even though it's such a it's such a classic twist. I mean, like you know, it, I mean, it was written in 1950 something, and it has been copied ever since. Like, like it's it's including in several Bond films. So I don't know why it caught me so off guard, but it really did. And I think it's on the strength of the performance, the way the the movie puts it together. You genuinely believe that they might like live happily ever after, and of course yeah. that's not going to happen. But you know, you think that maybe like she'll be uh, assassinated or something, or you know something will happen, and it turns out. No, she's been working against him this whole time, and it's devastating. You, you're right there with him, you know, in, in his hurt and pain and betrayal. It's it's amazing, amazingly played, amazingly done. I These think it's are also the same time. people who made Die Another Day, by the way. <laughs> so I just, what happened in the intervening years? It's crazy. Yeah, maybe the born identity or something like that. You I, mean, know, I guess. Know. Hang on a second. We I shouldn't have had the CGI paragliding. <laughs> for me, it was the time that Vesper and Bond got to spend together. It wasn't just, oh, for the, for the length of the movie. Okay, it was for the length of the movie, but they they jumped time forward and he recovered and they, they went on a boat trip and they, mm. they were together around the, backpacking around the world. And Backpacking. backpacking. Oh, you know what I mean. Tracing, whatever. <laughs> wandering the world. And and Land so were, packing or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. But they but they spent a lot of time together. So you think, oh well, if she was going to betray him, she would have done it ages ago. But no, she needed to get the money and, and yeah, those reasons. But also it's because she bloody loved him. And so she's finding reasons to not betray him. And hmm. that's and that's it wasn't just she's evil, it was she had she refused to love him, fell in love with him, he fell in love with her, and then she's like, I don't want to betray him, but I have to because of my boyfriend and bad things will happen. Yeah. And as M says later, she knew she was going to her death and she did it anyway. But she's so perky when they leave. Like, that's the thing. They don't – when she gets – and I just have to put another bit of female unbelievable – like, they're literally in bed, all sexy, sexy, and then she goes, <laughs> oh, I have to go to the back. She gets up out of bed and she just immediately puts on a red wrap dress. 
No underwear. Doesn't pop in for a shower. Sorry, I just found that unbelievable. Like, well, look, when you have a figure like Eva Green's, I think yeah. you can just wear whatever the hell you want. Yeah, you just, uh, you, you, just, go you, just throw up, you just put a potato bag over it. Everyone's like, yep, that, that works. <laughs> no, but it's like you're going to be traipsing through Venice. Like you want some support maybe or at least a clean pair of knickers, don't you? I don't know. It's, it's going commando, the new thing. Anyway, okay, yeah, sure. If I was Eva Green, yeah, I'd just be naked the whole time. Okay, I get it. I get it. Incredibly beautiful woman. Yes. She's a funny-looking... Speaking of Eva Green, I was going to say, yeah, the next item on my list was Eva Green, uh, who is amazing in this movie. Um, An incredible actress, and also, yeah, like, a strikingly beautiful woman. She is objectively a beautiful woman, but she's weird-looking, isn't she? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I don't find her beautiful at all, which is really funny. I don't think she's a... That's not weird. My brain goes... Yeah, I think everything. I think she should be beautiful. My brain goes, yeah, she's symmetrical. She she probably has good genes, you know, good hygiene. But I just, I, no, I don't think she's beautiful. I think she's striking. I think she's a very beautiful woman, but I think she is a very good actress who knows how to use her face. And I think when she wants to, she can appear very odd looking. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, I know her from, very, very, from uh... the, the, Penny, the Penny Dreadful. Oh, I was about to say, yeah, she, in Penny Dreadful, she often looks very weird. And I think that's <laughs> deliberate. It's not the fact that Eva Green looks weird. I think she's a very good actress. I feel like she plays a lot of not quite manic pixie dream girls, but somewhere akin to that, like mm-hmm. slightly spooky mm-hmm. pixie girls. Uh, she got cast as the witch, I think Serafina Pecola in the first Golden Compass movie that Daniel Craig was also in as Azrael in 2007. That's a, that's a weird reunion. Yeah, a weird re- <laughs> I don't think they shared any scenes, but um, yeah, and she was like this, you know, very unearthly witchy which which makes sense and then i think she was in that some kids movie where she was a mrs something uh, Miss peregrine's home for yeah, Miss, yeah that's the one where she's kind of the odd you know school mistress so she seems to do a good line in slightly otherworldly possibly magical like she's too magical to be yeah real she's so perfect and she's <laughs> not, like honestly like bond girls are bond girls but she's this, she's next level it's just she's crazy. next level like she's incredibly put together she's perfectly dressed she's you know she's in complete control of her delivery of her you know she doesn't seem to have any emotion she's just it's very hard to describe so i find find she's had a weird career too because like as you say like like i mean she got her big her big breakout was in bernardo bertolucci's the dreamers in which she is constantly naked Uh, (laughs) just okay (laughs) very i don't know whether you guys have seen that movie very weird movie um yes she's extremely naked but also like like you know it's a star making turn she's fantastic in that movie but then she has this weird career where soon after that she plays Vespa in Casino Royale and then she plays like a bunch of small roles in various things she was in like the 300 uh, sequel and the and the Sin yeah. City sequel she was in Dark Shadows and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children oh, which have like a Tim Burton thing she becomes like a Tim Burton ingenue for a while I- I feel very, yeah, a lot of Tim Burton vibes. And then a I lot guess, of, like, yeah, low-budget... Replacement budget, for... Hell uh, on the Bottom Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he probably aged out of doing the things that Eva Green can now do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She she was she was the replacement character. Yeah. And then but she's imagining her in Fight Club now. That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm. But now but then she's also in a, a bunch of like low budget movies and strange horror movies, and then she does a lot of TV. So she's on the Merlin show for a while. Or Camelot, wow. sorry, Camelot. Camelot. She was in, she was in a King Arthur the show for a while. So she was in that and she was in Penny Dreadful and a couple of other things. She's had a weird career. 
Is it, do you think she just picks? She's like, ah, she'll just pick what she wants now, and yeah, she'll just I go guess. and just and she's not out there to prove anything, or she's just going to do what she wants and make money and have some fun. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that Charlize Theron was put forward to play Vespa, which would be interesting. I heard that as well. Wow, that would have been very different. Well, but this is pre Furiosa, so I guess she wouldn't be kind of like the Charlize Theron, like in um, what's it called, Old Guard, and and she's now plays these battle women, which is great. Like she's like this, <laughs> she's this middle, she's this middle aged woman who's like, I don't care that I'm middle aged, I'm going to kick ass and take names, which is amazing. Thank goodness there's, they're, they're allowing that sort of stuff now. But I wonder, maybe 14 years ago, she would have been somewhere in her early 30s, late 20s, I guess. And I guess maybe more age appropriate for Bond. Though I have no idea how old Eva Green is. Can I tell you, she's a few months older than me. Yes, I'm younger than Eva Green by that much. Yes, yes, yes. She would have been been in her 20s then when she did that role. Yes, she was like 25, 26. And this is what I mean. Like for a 25, 26-year-old to be that prepossessing and that, you know, so in charge and look I compare everyone to myself but you both knew me when I was that I think that's probably when I met you Stu around that time (laughs) and obviously Greg has known me for a lot longer and uh, I don't think I was that how to be that cool at 25 how to be that any of us were I think that's a little bit unfair because yes she's not you're putting a higher standard on her than you are on Bond Bond can't exist either but we don't go there's no way a man in his 30s could do all that stuff it's not possible like oh of course yeah you're you're totally right I I compare myself because I am a woman so I compare myself more naturally to like these other characters who are so cool under fire and it's like she's a high-ranking member of the treasury but maybe she's older though like I mean she would have been been mid-20s but but she feels older and not not in like a bad way she just feels more mature and and, and, yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. I I don't think the character is meant to be 25 no no i'm just i I, I wouldn't think so either and i'd like to say that that as a male i do identify with bond especially this bond i think he and i have a lot in common so (laughs) uh, i see a lot of myself in daniel craig's bond Uh, yeah i I have often seen you just go through a wall when you could have used a door look i i am all for going straight through things it's not i am not one for finesse (laughs) can i tell you about eva green though i just quickly looking up her wikipedia page and uh she's very apparently she's very shy and is quite a homebody when she's not acting so she kind of does these very explicit roles but then in real life she says that she's very boring she has expressed interests in taxidermy and entomology she collects preserved skulls and insects like that to me is like of course Would you like to see my latest animal, stuffed animal? I stuffed it myself. I can't wait for her to get old and weird. I think you're right. I think the Helena Bonham Carter, she's like the French Helena Bonham Carter, 15 years younger. She's even green French. There you go. She's French. She yeah, yeah, yeah. She I has, no she has idea. a flawless English accent. I had no uh, idea. I, I feel like it's... Just a hint of something. Yeah, I feel like there's a very much a something there. It's got a slight exoticism, her voice. But but it's not but it's so not like she that... like lived in England for many, many years. Like she's French. She's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's yeah. she's total Frenchy. To me, she was the British Bond girl and she's Bond's equal in, in lots of different ways and strong and capable, but not like a superhero. Uh and but then we were talking about before then there were the other ones. There was the, um, Demetrios's um, wife, girlfriend, Solange. She was more of that European, Latin-blooded, Spanish, dark-haired beauty. So you had the kind mm. of voluptuous woman. Mm. And so you had this amazing woman there who was just gorgeous, but in a, a more traditional womanly gorgeous, in inverted commas, if you know what I mean. Like it's sort of... That's, oh, yeah, that, that pink dress she's in at the yes. casino, which yes. is just like, how are you even wearing that? That is not a dress. That's a piece of 
sculpture. Like it's been it straight is, on. It and... is uh, an impressive piece of architecture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's really funny is she comes in and says, like Dimitrios and, and and then Dimitrios just blows her off. And you're like, what are you dead? Like and, <laughs> yes, and, and it, no man that whole night must have been must be terrified of Dimitrios. But no man looks at that woman the whole she sits sadly by her lo- so lonesome at a bar while I, and I was like this wouldn't happen. No, <laughs> like, no, she would be hit on multiple times. Multiple times. Like, <laughs> you'd have to have a bodyguard keeping him off with a stick. Like yeah. it's kind of. It's and insane. he's just like, if that was lucky, two hours late. Me. Yeah, yeah, you're like whatever. He's such an idiot. And then Valenka, I've kind of gushed about already. Valenka has that feeling of almost a, a Russian. I don't know what nationality she is, but she has that kind of Eastern European blonde, blue-eyed, yeah. just that mm. Russiany kind of dangerous woman, which also in Bond. Uh, but you also get these women. So yeah, I think they cover them. They cover slightly the women Nordic, really well. Slightly Teutonic. Yes, yeah, yeah. Teutonic is. Yeah, I think yeah, Teutonic is a good way of putting it. There you go. Yeah, with, and, and all that implies. Let me just tell you a bit more about Eva Green's casting. So she was cast at the last minute for the role of Vesperlind. However, she had been approached in mid two thousand and five about the role, but turned it down just because she thought that Bond girls are, you know. So principal photography was already underway and director Martin Campbell said casting the role was difficult because, quote, we didn't have the final script and a Bond girl always had the connotation of tits and ass. (laughs) Campbell saw Green's performance in the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven, which was like, I think, a um, A Crusades movie. movie, and approached her again. She read the script and found the character of Vesper far deeper than most Bond girls. Her performance was well received. Entertainment Weekly called her the fourth best Bond girl of all time. IGN named her the best femme fatale, stating this is the girl that broke and therefore made James Bond. And she won a BAFTA and an Empire Award for her performance. Well so there you go. There's a scene where, which is weird, because you think it would be at the end, that when you said like she put on the wrap and she went off to die, there should have been the scene that was earlier on where Bond's in the chair, as in not, not being mutilated, but actually healing. And she almost cries. Well, she's crying and she sort of says... No matter whatever happens, whatever happens from here on in, always know that you're a wonderful man sort of thing. You're you're the best man, you know. And that's almost, to me, that was her her um, Vespers confession. acknowledgement. Confession, thank you. That's the yeah. word, yes. And, but that should have been when she was going off to die, not kind of months earlier. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It, it's strange because she sort of gets a phone call and is like, oh, I'm going to the bank. Mm. And then, you know, says, oh, it's my work. They want me to come back. And she's like, I'm back in a month and makes a big show of sending a text. Yes. Uh, and then leaves the phone but she has this very convivial come on get up i'll i'll get go to the bank you get supplies and if em is right and she says she must have known she was going to her death she certainly didn't express that to mm, bond yeah, yeah. She kept it very light so whether that's mm. deliberate or whether that's i don't know just kind of watching it again with with em's words ringing in my ears it's like she didn't seem mm. you know she gets a text and that's i suppose enough but, uh, yeah. Sorry, Stu, are, how are you going with your list? <laughs> I was going to say, so I've got a couple just two, a couple more things. Uh, so I said, you know, obviously building off the fact that a, a twist that works and Eva Green. I said, so so wait, is Mathis crooked? I don't. We don't know. We don't he know. He turns up again in Quantum of Solace, I think. Does he? Well, this is the thing. This is the one of the one, one of the very few Bond films I've never seen. You've never seen Quantum of I've Solace? I've never seen Quantum of Solace. Oh my Never god! Never watched it, so I'm actually really looking forward to because it's 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 commonly referred to as one of the as one of the lesser entries in the canon. But you know, I, I've literally never seen it, so I'm really Why? looking Have forward to checking it. it. 
just a weird hole in my Bond knowledge. At the time, I mean, it came out around, what, 2008 or something. Uh, I think I just never got around to seeing it at the cinemas. And then... Too many night shifts at the radio station. <laughs> I, probably, yeah, yeah. That, that was right around that time. So just never got around to seeing it at the cinemas, never got around to watching it when it came out on uh, home video. And then uh, I've never taken the opportunity to see it since because, like, since then, its public opinion has been it's kind of not very good. So I'm like, oh, I just won't bother with it. And, you know, I obviously have watched all the other Daniel Craig's and, and have watched many of the other Bond films and have seen all of the others now. Um, <laughs> but this is the last hole in my Bond knowledge is, is Quantum of Solace. Wow. I'm so surprised. But then, you know, I'm the person who's not seen anything, so I shouldn't be. <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess what we don't know is the answer. We, we don't know if Mathis is crooked. Mm -hmm. he, he definitely didn't sell Bond out in the sense that we know that it's Vesper who did that. But he might have also done something weird or... or... But that just shows Bond's coldness as well, because M's like, he's innocent. He's like, no, he's just not guilty of this. It doesn't make him innocent. And yeah. to me, that just shows that Bond is now... He just trusts no one and he can't trust anyone. He's broken and therefore yeah. he's like, stuff you. And he doesn't care. This man might spend the rest of his life in jail and Bond could set him free. But Bond's like, well, no, tough shit for you. Absolutely. I lost everything. You lose everything. You lose everything too. So the next item on my list was no queue, no money penny and minimal mm -hmm. gadgets. So everything's stripped back to, to basics in this one. Um, there I've are a few say, gadgets? Like, there's a couple of gadgets. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like he's I've, tricked out Aston Martin with yes. the defibrillator and the... Yeah, yeah. But, but it's very grounded. Like, it's, it's mm. yeah, it's all, like, it's practical very real-world stuff. There's, no, there's yeah. no science fiction-y sort of things. There's no invisible car, for example. <laughs> yeah. Just Maybe one movie you go. And, and the DB9 is, is just a car. When it goes off the road, it goes off the road and falls apart. It's not bulletproof. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's just a car. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, sorry, it's a, it's a $250,000 It's not just a DB9, car. <laughs> but yeah, it's not a magic but car. But yeah, he crashes it and it, and it totals it. Like, like yeah. it, it's not yeah. like it has like secret ejector seats or anything in it. <laughs> yeah. It's the one thing that I will say about the film. Like, like I think the franchise needed it at this point. I, I think it needed a hard reset. It needed to sort of get back to what, like the core of everything. But I do miss the gadgets a little bit. I miss Q. I miss Money Penny. Like I, I just really, yeah. I miss those little accoutrements. I don't know. It, it's it's weird. I I'm not holding it against the film. This film is almost perfect. But you you just feel like I'm glad they get back to it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's. I know what you mean. They put a few things in there, like they make tracking Le Chiffre through his puffer. Asthma puffer, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, but that's just spycraft. I actually wrote a note here saying uh, Bond in this movie is a good spy, question mark. Uh, so he's, he actually well, does. Well, does, he does cause an international incident, so maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. screws up that whole yeah, that yeah. whole thing by blowing up the embassy and murdering a man in cold yeah. blood. He murders a man in cold blood and yeah. then yeah. Uh, surely kills several other people in that yeah. explosion. And he beats the tar out of them and they're all gunning each other down. Like he's running around and you see men that he's punching take bullets, not from him, but from people who are firing upstairs. Like they're all gun they, they get gunned down by their own people. And you're like, oh no, Bond. And what was weird, I have a, I have a lot to say about this actually. It's a through line to the whole movie. Bond has to win. And if Bond doesn't win, Bond will kill you. And it yes, happened yeah, yeah. over and over again in this movie. Vesper talks to him and, and M do as well. They both talk to him about ego. He's kind of schooled by these two yes. important women in his life about his ego constantly. He could have let that the bomber free 
and just blown up the, the fuel tank and run away. But no, he murders. He shoots. I, I forgot that bit that he shot the guy in the chest and mm. then the bomber and then ran away. And then later on, when he's lost the game, the poker game to Le Chiffre, he's like, ah, oh, stuff it, and goes and gets a he gets angry and angry. Well, yeah, it's so he, it's, yeah, it's when he thinks he's out because oh, yes. Yes. Le Chiffre tricked yeah. him. He made he, he's going to go him. and torture Le Chiffre is what's and gonna happen right there. I thought he was just going to stab him to death because because he he says to Matthias, get the girl out, which to me means I'm not coming back. Like he's kind of going to his death at that point. He's going, he 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 he's lost, but he's going to win by murdering Le Chiffre in that room right there and then. And knowing full well those bodyguards will probably murder him in return. Yeah, and how good is it that Felix Leiter is the one oh. going, Hey buddy, let me introduce myself. Yeah. I'm a brother from Langley. Yeah. <laughs> and just calms him down it shows like felix leiter has way more experience mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. way more calm and way more nous than than bond does at that point yeah, so we, we get back to the we get back to the idea that felix is a slightly older cooler head yeah yes yeah. It, which is useful um he does it again um bond does it at the end of course mr white he loses but he, bond refuses to lose and so he murders people yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just flat out murders you. He does it all the time. Like he's, and that's what makes him scary. Cause you go, oh, he doesn't care about the cost. He thinks he does, but then he, then little red rage goes off in his brain. And then he's like, oh, I don't care what I have to lose. You're going to lose doubly. And it makes him a bad spy in that, in that way. <laughs> But it makes him insane. Yeah, I guess. But it it makes him an elemental force almost. Like you go, oh no, like compelling to watch. Yes, because it's it's gonna be scary. There's a part right at the start actually uh, in Madagascar when he's running around and he's like a snake. Like he's watching. Like he's like, put your hand down from your ear, you fool. Like Clarkson, whatever he is. Oh yes, yes, yes. And then Clarkson falls into the snake pit and Bond's standing deathly still while this all happens. Like people are running and screaming. A gun goes off. Bond doesn't move. The bomber runs under him or past him and then bond bursts into action it's like suddenly he goes and he's like leaning kind of casually against the wall yeah i noticed that too then he goes boom and he doesn't stop moving until he's murdered the guy uh and it's it's really powerful it's such a you let him wind him up and you let him go and that whole scene the parkour scene is just insane the amount of crazy jumping from crane to crane and onto roofs and onto the ground yes. and up again and through doors and up lifts and down like how did he even survive that you know because he yeah. the other yeah. guy is a parkour superhero clearly so he's yeah. got flying powers <laughs> and bond is just like well i'll just do you know he, he well, jumps- bond uses his brain he j- jumps into elevators he he uses mechanical devices he- yeah yeah but he's still putting his body through an absolute Ringer, like it's still. I yeah. mean, that's the superhero. But, but at this point, he's still he's still young and vital. He's not the busted, broken yeah. down old superhero <laughs> that we're gonna um see later on. Part I love yeah. the most in that in that fight is when they they're on top of the cranes and the U- Ugandan guy, uh, the bomber, uh, takes a gun out and it's empty and he, and he so he throws it at Bond and Bond instantly catches it and smashes it smashes back into his back face. Him, yeah. yeah. Like once again blunt instrument it's just like I... don't throw, don't throw things at me I will put it in your eye. Like, oh, I remember it's... you cackling so hard at that in the cinema Craig when we first <laughs> it's, it's everything about that is he's just wonderful and and, and it's it's the look of disdain on his face. It's like oh you just handed me a weapon you moron. Like, oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. He um he has to learn the consequences to his actions. That's what this movie is about, and that he he can't just go around murdering people. 
Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, he can. He's just got to be a little bit more delicate about it. He's got to, he's but, got to pick his battles. Yeah, he's got to remember the politics of the situations. But his, he's kind of told, you should murder people, but the right people at the right time. So you kill that guy at the start. Dryden, yeah. Dryden. He's the right man to kill, but don't just cut Le Chiffre up with a knife. Like Even white is probably dangerous. Like It's it's great and sexy and powerful at the end. You know, I'm, My name is Bond, James Bond. But it's also, oh, you go, are you... You've stepped in it, like you know you've you've got the hornet's nest going, which maybe what's required. He's a great bond for that for that kind of unstoppableness. It definitely is. It's fantastic. And then the last the last item on my list was testicular trauma, oh. uh, which is a <laughs> and a now iconic Bond scene. But it's it's interesting, I thought, because we've seen Bond be tortured before. But Daniel Craig's Bond gets tortured in several movies, like not just here, like, like you know. But this is this is obviously the the first and one of the most notable ones. Like he literally gets his balls busted. Yeah. So it's a very visceral uh, scene, which I think uh, most of the men watching would feel uh, sympathy for at the very least. Did you both feel that? Because I don't know, it's one of the high points for me. Uh... <laughs> for me, it was the. Power... I call that rope feminism. Um... <laughs> Smashing the patriarchy. (laughs) What's interesting, though, on average, left patriarchy hangs lower than right patriarchy. (laughs) That's a weird message to tell. It really is, yeah. Hang on a minute. No, wait, that's not what I mean at all. Oops. I love that scene because, once again, Bond, though I don't know if Bond would be able to, because, you know, you get tortured, you'll do whatever to make pain stop, but real torture. But it's the fact he's like, making jokes but still in agony and you know they'll all know that you touch my balls kind of thing and and, and would you mind yes that's right no 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 the right one oh once again that comedy that weird comedy Mm. and and he's a hard ass you go he's such a hard ass but he would have died there if if mr white hadn't come in there was no escape from at that point yeah no 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 but he had the knowledge that which he tortured the shifra with which is you're going to die yeah because yes, you gonna, lost a shitload of money. They're going to cut you into tiny pieces. And There's nothing you can do about it. So, like, yeah. if he's facing his own death, and he's he is terrified at the start of that scene. Like, when he's roped mm, up, mm. he is sweating. Yeah, and um, breathing weird, that, that panic breathing. Yeah, yeah. And and also he's got the knowledge at that point. I mean, we don't know exactly how much Vesper was tortured and how much was, you know, done to because she knew them. I don't think Vesper Vesper wasn't working with Le Chiffre at all. So they were torturing Vesper. And it's only when Mr. White came in that she made a deal to save Bond's life. I don't think Vesper would work with Le Chiffre at all. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that that's that answers the earlier question, which means that uh, Mathis must have been working with Le Chiffre. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. I... Yeah. Well, Le Chiffre says, you know, your guy Mathis is actually my guy mm. Mathis. Mm. Yeah, your friend. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Vesper was working with them. She was working with White, which is a different organization. That's Spectre or Quantum, whatever. Yeah, it's Spectre. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong there. Once again, shows how hard he is because they try the whole, we'll, we'll rip your balls off. It's like, and he sort of gets through that. And then he's like, we'll torture your girlfriend. Like, we'll torture Vesper. That's throws him though like you can see him go oh no they will actually yeah this this is a complication i didn't foresee but then he's kind of like nah, i'm still not going to tell you though that's when he's like they're going to murder you as nat just said it turns it around but who knows where it would have gone because you know mr white walks in and, and kills them all so it's a hell of a scene <laughs> it's uh it's an interesting scene 
Mm. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented in the in the series up to this point, which I think is interesting. Like, so much of this movie is just unprecedented. Like, like mm. it's building and riffing on on themes that we've seen before, but like so much of it is is brand new. It's fantastic. Very rarely is Bond emasculated, literally emasculated. Literally. Mm. That's a weird thing. Natalie, you might you might know this. I mean, in the books, how much trauma does does the the, the magic penis undergo? Let me have a look. I think it's the same. Hang on, hang it's on. It's a hang very on. specific form of torture. Oh, you know, it could be your kink. I'm just saying. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. There's okay. Just, plenty of people who pay good money for what's happening to Bond. That's right. So I have the book. I shall now quickly skim this book and we'll go through because I think it is actually <laughs> the same. So Bond is forced to take off his clothes. There's the line here, Bond stood stark naked in the middle of the room, bruises showing livid on his white body, his face a grey mask of exhaustion and knowledge of what was to come. Sit down there, Le Chief nodded at the chair in front of him. He is sat down on a chair, he is tied to it. He made no mistakes with the knots and left no play in any of the bindings, all of them bit sharply into Bond's flesh. The legs of the chair were broadly spaced and Bond could not even rock it. He was utterly a prisoner, naked and defenceless. His buttocks and the underpart of his body protruded through the seat of the chair towards the floor. The more that you're reading, the more I'm starting to realise that maybe this was uh, Ian Fleming's thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I take it back. They love ball culture in the 50s. There's a um, four-part drama series that was made five, six years ago about Ian Fleming, kind of the creation of Bond sort of thing, about how Ian Fleming's kind of dissolute, looking for something to do and gets into the Navy intelligence service. But they have a very strong hint that he was into BDSM in that. I haven't watched it, but I got the the lowdown from my parents who watched it. Very interested. And they're like, oh, he apparently liked being tied up. Uh, beaten a bit. So <laughs> here, Le Chiffre lit a cigarette and swallowed a mouthful of coffee from the glass. Then he picked up the cane carpet beater and, resting the handle comfortably on his knee, allowed the flat trefoil base to lie on the floor directly under Bond's oh. chair. He looked at Bond carefully, almost caressingly, in the eyes. Then his wrist sprang up suddenly on his knee. The result was startling. Bond's whole body arched in an involuntary spasm. His face contracted in a soundless scream and his lips drew right away from his teeth. At the same time, his head flew back with a jerk showing the taut sinews of his neck. For an instant, muscles stood out in knots all over his body and his toes and fingers clenched until they were quite white. Then his body sagged and perspiration started to bead all over his body. He uttered a deep groan. Le Chiffre waited for his eyes to open. You see, my dear boy, he smiled a soft, fat smile. Is the position quite clear now? Mm. A drop of sweat fell off Bond's chin onto his naked chest. Ooh. Uh, wow. And yes, I need a cigarette. Sorry. Yeah, it is. It is. I a- didn't realise that they wrote Bond stand back then. That's amazing. I know. This is Ian Fleming wrote his own fan fiction. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he gives a villain speech. Listen to this. Perhaps I should explain, said Le Chiffre. <laughs> I Perhaps. intend to continue attacking the sensitive parts of your body until you answer my question. I am without mercy and there will be no relenting. There is no one to stage a last-minute rescue and there is no possibility of escape for you. This is not a romantic adventure story in which the villain is finally routed and the hero is given a medal and marries the girl. Unfortunately, these things don't happen in real life. If you continue to be obstinate, you will be tortured to the edge of madness and then the girl will be brought in and we will set about her in front of you. If that is still not enough, you will both be painfully killed and I shall reluctantly leave your bodies and make my way abroad to a comfortable house which is waiting for me. There I shall take up a useful and profitable career and live to a ripe, (laughs) useful old age in the bosom of my family I shall doubtless create. 
So you see, my, my father d- made outlandish <laughs> statements like he invented the question mark. <laughs> I stand to lose nothing. If you hand the money over, so much the better. If not, I shall shrug my shoulders and be on my way. There you go. But you, my dear fellow, can only hope that I shall spare you further pain and spare your life. There is no other hope for you but that. Absolutely none. So, yeah, they've taken that from the book. Wow. Fair enough. Okay, cool. That's that's great. Always learn from the previous generation, everyone. That's all I have to say about that. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Get your nuts out and smack them with a carpet beater. That's the way to torture a man. It's a lovely moment where he says, I don't know why everyone goes in for this, you know, all these mm. elaborate torture methods when the old-fashioned things are the best. Just smack them in the nuts until they tell you what yep. you want to know. He's got the bit here where someone obviously comes in to stop Le Chiffre and the word is stop. It's literally written S-H-T-O-P. Nice. Oh, because it's a Russian and uh, smooth Russian, guy. And Bond heard slow steps approaching behind his chair. Drop it. D-H-R-O-P. Wow. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> you, you can hear the bad Russian accent. I know, you can hear it. <laughs> and that chapter is called A Crag-Like Face. It's very, very close to A Craig-Like Face. It was, <laughs> it was meant to be. Just saying, just saying. So that is Casino Royale. Good thing I had this on hand to double-check that. That was live yes. researching and uh, fact-checking. Thrilling podcast content. Shut up. <laughs> I'm just going to see what she writes in her suicide note because it must be somewhere around here. Okay, yes, so I found Vesper's suicide note. I won't read the whole thing because it goes on for two pages. <laughs> she talks about, yes, yeah, she had a Polish lover in the RAF. My um, mother was a gypsy with, with club feet. You might save my life, but I couldn't bear the look in your dear eyes, my love, my oh. love. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so they do it this way, which we haven't really talked about, but that scene with um, Vespa in the lift in the building, her suicide is she kind of kisses his fingers. Thankfully, she doesn't suck them. But she kind of kisses his fingers through the, the, the gaps in the elevator doors mm. and then she kind of just inhales. No, she locks the door first, though. She locks the door, yeah. takes the key out and throws it away so he can't get to her. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard way to go. Yeah, it is. And then she's like panicking and it's a very gothic kind of moment where she's in the water like her eyes are all big and she's gasping you know her dying breath was really interesting because it it mirrors the two deaths that bond has already Mm -hmm. we've seen bond do so so like he drowns the guy at the start although he doesn't actually drown he sort of gets back up and tries Mm -hmm. to kill him again but like you know he thinks he drowns that first guy and then the other guy he suffocates in front of her he strangles her oh yes um so wow sort of like her death really mirrors like the, oh my the, goodness. the darkness that, that's in him oh uh, yes you know it's a very good movie it's a very yeah wow <laughs> no, it's a very good movie. you know what makes it even better is the product placement <laughs> so i just want to go into that very quickly product placement uh, there's the obvious one which is the rolex omega the watch, yeah. beautiful oh. that's such garbage i mean that that is that that's the ad they could just clip that yes. out and make that the ad yeah. but the other one is i found really weird i only noticed it when i watched it this time is when he first arrived in the Bahamas suddenly he's in a car he gets off the plane looking cool AF as the kids say mm-hmm. like just looking and he gets and the next scene he's driving but they show it's a Ford they show very clearly it's a Ford like, but it's like a four door sedan it's nothing exciting but they play this kind of racy music as he's driving but you just you kind of like calm down Ford yeah Bond's in a Ford but no one's going to buy a Ford because Bond's in this Ford I hope you haven't paid too much money for that because you've been done that was a bit silly and other than that I think he made drinking look very cool yes well heineken was a sponsor i think they still have been a sponsor he's yeah, done he- heineken's been a sponsor right through yeah, yeah. 
So he has a beer at one point. Right, there you go. But I remember seeing them, I think that when you and I came out from Madrid and seeing it, I think we just spent the whole rest of the weeks afterward just going, Rolex Omega, beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. It's it's such a clunky line. It's awful. Rolex Omega, beautiful. Beautiful. And to the point where it made me go, oh, this scene's great. Oh, this scene is no longer good at all. And then finally they save it with the How Was a Lamb skewered, which is thank God. They end it on a really great line. But, yeah, very, very well, odd. According to the her research, in quotation marks, critics dubbed Die Another Day by Another Day because of around 20 product placement <laughs> <laughs> So they limited the promotions for this one. And that's saying something because it's still pretty obvious. Partners included Ford, Heineken, Smirnoff, Omega, Virgin Atlantic, and Sony Ericsson. But there's also, like, the camera spends a lot of time on that, that uh, bulldozer that Bond uses mm. to bulldoze down at the yes. building side in, in Madagascar yeah that's like New Holland building like they, there's yeah. just like a lot of shots Ericsson, on things Sony Ericsson phones and, and Ericsson yeah. computers and yeah, Sony, computers, Sony and... computers and also Richard Branson oh yes in the airport um I remember Tony Martin comedian favorite of uh, of ours talked once about oh this is the gritty bond reboot and oh there's the bloke who runs virgin just at the airport <laughs> in the cameo. Yep. <laughs> like, but that cameo as well as the virgin logo was cut cut out of any of the screenings of the film on British Airways. (laughs) (laughs) They cut out that moment and they blurred the Virgin logo. Oh, how petty. That's pretty petty. Like We can't even have our customers be reminded of another airline. Can I just come in? I just realised that my notes here, the Bond versus the bomber, as in the airport, the whole airplane scene, the airport scene. That's an amazing scene, a great action piece, people, you know, getting out of the airport, running around. It's amazing. But not just the action. To me, that once again shows what a bastard this Bond is, because as in you think you've won and he'll let you die. I mean, he'll kill you. Once again, it's a whole he never loses. He murders. And he smiles like the bomber fires the bomb off. And then he explodes and you don't see his. He's tied it to his belt. Yes. So Bond is being arrested and taken away for, you know, hijacking a plane or hijacking a bus or whatever it was. And the bomber is like, ha ha, I won looking smug, pulls out the trigger, fires it off. Bond has already clipped the bomb to his belt. And then the guy explodes and Bond smiles. This evil smile that is a flat out i got you you're like oh man i won there it is exactly and you're now blown to pieces uh (laughs) that man is splattered over many police cars and you go good lord i love this bond even more right now i didn't think i could become so aroused over james bond but right now (laughs) yeah and that was like the whole thing that i sort of forgot because there's so much action in the stabs Dimitrios like that Dimitrios comes at him with a yeah, knife yeah at the body then, world and, exhibit yeah. exhibit yeah and they're pushing the knife back and forth and finally he kind of shoves it into Dimitrios's lungs and and lies him carefully down so no one realizes like he's lucky Dimitrios didn't go oh god it hurts so bad yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Jesus you know that sort of stuff yeah. <laughs> so saying I know that um not Gandalf um <laughs> oh, good, oh, what's his name um Gandalf? no 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 the 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 other big wizard in that one. Oh, Christopher uh, Lee. Oh, oh Christopher Lee yes I know what you're gonna say Lee was like, supposedly, because they went, oh, he'd scream if he got stabbed in the back. He's like, no, no, trust it. Take it from me. When someone gets stabbed in the lung, they can't make a noise. So maybe that's it. Maybe they're following that idea of Demetrios literally couldn't say a word because he's just got a knife in his lung. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the way. Peter Jackson tells this wonderful anecdote about it. Like, because Christopher Lee obviously was actually like friends with Ian Fleming and served in the Secret Service. He was service. A, a cousin, I think. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. Like, and like was in the Secret Service during World War Two. Yeah. And said like, like in that scene in in Return of the King where Saruman gets stabbed in the back, Peter Jackson was saying, okay, and and here obviously, uh, you know, you do a big ah, and he was like, no, 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 no. Uh, when a man gets stabbed in the back, he uh, makes a sighing sound because the wind rushes out of him. And <laughs> Peter Jackson was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gotta love that. But yeah, that whole airport scene is amazing. That's also, once again, good. I think Bond maybe being a good spy is in working out using ellipsis to get through the door. He finally works out what ellipsis means. He's very single-minded and he's like talking to Amber. He's like, I've got to go. I've got to, you know, save everyone sort of thing. So there's a few mm. things in that scene that, once again, is really wonderful. Like it's really action and tense and clever things. Like he walks outside, doesn't know where the bomb has gone because the bomb has picked up the key chain to get the bombs. And he, so he just rings the phone because it's, he has Demetrius' yeah. phone and he looks for a man who looks at his phone and he's like oh how clever like things like that are really fun and yeah you go he's, he's not a dumb thug he's a blunt instrument but quite cluey I did want to mention a couple of things that I still had because in the original Casino Royale the game that they play is Baccarat which of course is classic Bond yes. table game mm. but they changed it to Texas uh, Hold'em now I think that I didn't know a lot about Texas Hold'em back then but I know a lot more about it now so I actually found the poker scenes more engaging to watch because I could sort of follow a bit You're better what's happening, yeah. the hands because I really enjoy playing Texas Hold'em poker I really find it very fun Every time I actually play for money, I lose like no one's business. But whenever it's just for matchsticks or something, I am a god. Um, <laughs> well, it's um, interesting because it was it was huge at the time. Like I, when when it mm. came out, like like the or Texas Hold'em, uh, like World Championships were were like being televised and things like mm. that. So like it was mm. it was a massive zeitgeisty thing and so they obviously decided well if he's going to play cards he's got to play texas hold'em he can't play baccarat which even like then and certainly now is still a strange artifact of a game i don't think people really it's not really a popular game to play anymore in casinos but did you know when the film aired in china this is the first bond film to get a mainland chinese release wow that's crazy yeah they cut out the reference to the cold war m's reference to the cold <laughs> war for some reason <laughs> And they also had like a more of a voiceover explaining the rules of the game of Texas Hold'em because it wasn't a very popular game in China. So they had to kind of explain what was going on. So they dubbed in more. Maybe they paused the film and did a quick explainer or something. But, yeah, they had to add in extra content. Did M then say, damn, I, I missed the uh, Mao's People's Revolution? No, they probably just edited it so she's like... I miss the old days, or I don't know, but yeah. it didn't specify in the research. But uh, yeah, it just said that they cut out the specific reference to the Cold War. They would just probably redub it and mm. say something else, like, I don't like those people, something. <laughs> um, Excellent. And That's the other thing I wanted to mention was that the director of this film is Martin Campbell, who was the director of Goldeneye. And I think oh. that says something. I think oh. he's, a, he's a man who knows how to make a good film. And it's interesting that Goldeneye, which, as we talked about in, in our podcast on that film, is kind of a reboot of the series after the gap, yeah. mm -hmm. post-Dalton mm -hmm. gap. And then this one. So I think maybe that he was chosen very specifically because they knew he'd done it with Goldeneye to kind of boost the franchise back up. And they got him back to do this one because he hadn't done mm. any other after Goldeneye. Mm. So his hands, I guess, were still clean. <laughs> He did the really good Pierce one at the start and then just kind of hung out for a while. 
and then they brought him back. So is it in case of bad Bond movies, break glass and they just pull him out and they pull use out him Martin again? Campbell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think he definitely knows how to shoot action scenes and, you know, the parkour scene and the airport scene with the, you know, there's a lot of similarities you could see between the airport scene with the buses and tankers going into the plane and that sort of thing with the tank sequence in St. Petersburg, you know, not mm. not exactly the same, but definitely big Big well, weird, we also weird things chasing weird things. So cop cars chasing an oil tanker going to a plane and then yeah. being blown away by planes, like a plane taking off and the backwash blasting mm. cop cars away. And it's, it's it's odd. You don't see it. It doesn't have to be Fast and the Furious crazy leaping out of buildings. It's just something you haven't seen before. For sure. So we have to rate this movie. I'm struggling with a choice, and maybe you two can help me, because the current number one on my list is uh, Goldfinger, which is a Stone Cold classic of a movie. And it is the James Bond movie. It's James Bond incarnate. Does this movie deserve to go above or below Goldfinger? Because that's where it's going. Wow. Uh, It's not not going any further down. It's either going above or below Goldfinger. Wow. Goldfinger is the Bond film, but I think this movie is top to bottom a more competent film than goldfinger even though goldfinger itself is so self-assured in what it's doing i think casino royale like start to finish is nearly perfect okay well do you want me to tell you what i'm doing please is very clear to me Mm -hmm. this is number four right wow goldfinger spy who loved me goldeneye casino royale that's how it is do you have the brain worms I don't think that's a controversial choice. No, you think GoldenEye is better than Casino Royale? For me, yes. For you, yes. Okay, For fantastic. me, yes, because I think it is a tighter Bond movie that is a Bond movie. I think I think Casino Royale is great, and don't get me wrong, it's just mm. I have personal ties to GoldenEye, and I also think that it, it does the Bond movie formula. It has the gadgets, it has the women, it has, it has a lot of those familiar fun things about Bond without going overboard as the later Brosnans did. I like the Craig interpretation of Bond. I like Casino Royale. But in terms of the Bond qualities, GoldenEye is tight. It's a tight film and I do feel like this one, because it has that big three-act sort of structure, it flabs a bit for me. It it sort of, I don't know. And something about Eva Green as Vespa, it just is a bit (laughs) uncanny valley for me, I think. This is not to demonise Casino Royale by any means, but I've had a fixed top three and this doesn't change that. Wow, okay. Um, It it doesn't change. That's surprising, actually, to me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I I thought this would have been right up there for you, but everything you're saying makes total sense. I mean, for me, it's okay. And in terms of making sense, like you've got the best Sean Connery film, the best Roger Moore film, the best Pierce Brosnan film, the best Daniel Craig film. Unfortunately, (laughs) Timothy Dalton's and uh, George Lazenby's further down the list. Uh, I guess there's an argument that I could try and convince myself that this is better than Goldeneye, but just in terms of sheer rewatchability, you know, there is a, a big emotional tie for me for Goldeneye. Like you guys obviously clearly really resonate and I think that action kind of bond is very, very appealing to you guys. So I can totally see it being ranked higher. I can totally mm. see people putting it as their best Bond film and I don't disagree with any of them at all. It's it's really great. I feel like I'm sounding sarcastic now, but I'm, I'm genuine. It's a really <laughs> great film. It's the best of Daniel Craig's, well, obviously No Time to Die pending, 
but it can't go above those other three for me. They're my top three. Fair enough. Okay, I don't know well, if that helps. If you want to be contrary well, now. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it does. I think you, you've crystallized it for me because, yeah, like I, this movie just hit so hard for me at the time and then it held up so well on the rewatch. I think it's number one. I think it's my wow. number one. Yeah. Wow. It's going, it's going to number one. It I agree. Stuart. Goldfinger. Well done, Stuart. Bravo. Goldfinger is Goldfinger, but Casino Royale is like, it, it's so confident in what it does. And, especially coming off Die Another Day, which is my last ranked movie. Like it's, it's, my it's, third it's last. in second <laughs> place. I, I put it dead last because it is a piece of crap. It is a <laughs> mess, a goddamn mess. And then to come back just a few years later and make something so precision engineered to be awesome, it's astonishing to me. So th- this movie is number one. How do you reckon the rest of the craze will go? <laughs> <laughs> I, a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, look, and that's fine. You've also got, you know, a mixed bag up the top of of uh, Connery and Moore and Craig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so so my top five at the moment are Casino Royale, number two, Goldfinger, number three, From Russia with Love, number four, The Spy Who Loved Me, and number five, Goldeneye. So that's yeah. a pretty good top five. And look, now. it's almost the same as mine, except for that weird thing where I put Diamonds Are Forever probably way too high. Like, well, I put Diamonds Are Forever at six, and I, I stand by that. But <laughs> yeah, well, I've got it at five now, and really, I probably should have Doctor No above it. Uh, yes, but you know, we talked about this. I still love Diamonds Are Forever. I can't, you yeah, know. I, I, I love that. I, I have a very soft spot for that movie that it probably mm-hmm. doesn't deserve. Greg, what do you think about our positions? Obviously, you agree with Stu, but I have, um, I, I'm much more on Stu's side. Yes, I mean, I would put Casino Royale the top and then all the other movies you've mentioned would be in my top five definitely maybe in the same order maybe not from your orders Matt what I find funny is listening to the podcast every week is how every other podcast you're like oh I just don't know and I couldn't possibly tell you and taste you gotta help me out this is the first time I ever heard you go no I, I know exactly what I want and I, this is what true. I want it's amazing to me this is the one that you went no I've got this nailed which is great I'm fascinated by it though you've always been a bit more on the edge about other your other choices I really have because so many of them mix and blend you know when we're talking about a lot of those mid-level ones or even ones like Moonraker where I'm like ostensibly it's not a great film but also it's an amazing film yes you know whereas I am clearly able to see the technical proficiency the good writing the good casting the good tension building in Casino Royale I can see Mm. all of that but then the emotional connection, the mm. nostalgia factor mm. and some other little niggles that I have with it just means that I can't put it above my kind of classic top three. And maybe that makes me, you know, all the rewatch has been pointless because I haven't changed my mind. No, on not at all. Have, no, of course not. No, no, mind. no. You know, as I say, on a lot of things, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see where the rest of the Craig films fall for me, like, because you can't beat them in terms of technical stuff. The technology now, the filmmaking processes and stuff. I, I'm not going to put the rest of them in line behind Casino Royale. Like, they're going to be peppered throughout because there's they are of varying quality. Like, like there's, right. So yeah. for me, it's going to be like, where does Skyfall go? That's going to be the interesting no, that's thing the tough for me. One. That's the because tough one. I could see Skyfall coming in right under, potentially right under Casino Royale Mm. or above it on the rewatch. So that's the interesting stuff for me. So I I kind of knew coming into this film that this would be the one that would challenge the top three. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's number four. Mm. Fair enough. If someone said to me right now, hey, Greg, we're going to sit down. You get a choice between Casino Royale, Goldfinger, From Russia With Love, The Spy I Love Me and Goldeneye. Which one would we watch? It would be Casino Royale. 
And then they'd say to me, which one would you like to watch? And I'd say, Casino Royale again, please. I think that, like, you had a much stronger reaction to GoldenEye. I had a much stronger reaction to Casino Royale. It's the first time a Bond movie I went, oh, I'm a Bond fan, instead of being, oh, Bond's that wacky man who does wacky stuff and it's all a bit crazy. And I remember that from when we saw it. Like, I remember you coming out going, God, it was so good. Like, I remember you having that much more reaction than I did. I remember enjoying it a lot, but I remember you really connected with it. And I Mm. think I sort of had that with Golden Eye. It just was the right movie at the right time. As I said, I can't fault it. Like, well, I can fault little bits and pieces. But overall, it's a fantastic movie and I would happily watch it probably more than any of the other Daniel Craigs. If you were to say, hey, let's put on Spectre, clearly nobody has because I haven't watched it. Except maybe Skyfall. We, I, I'm interested to see what you think of Skyfall. It's a good question. But first, you, we have to do Quantum of Solace, which apparently you've never seen. I've never seen. I don't know why this is so surprising to you. <laughs> Stu, every time we have a conversation about pop culture, you've seen it. I haven't. That's the way this goes. That's you it. Totally you're, you're, flipped the tables on me here. You're I don't, glee, gleefully I've, seizing this moment. I've lost my North Star. All right. Now you know how Bond feels in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just more of an emotional masculine connection that you. I was about to having. say that. I was actually going to say that maybe it was written by men for men of a certain age. Maybe that's it. Maybe well, I was. I mean, positive. that's James Bond. <laughs> but no, yeah, no, no, yes, it is. But like this. Bond, I feel, resonated with me, and maybe because I was at the time in my 30s and Bond was in his 30s. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's it. I'm just glad it exists. <laughs> yeah, I am too. And I think it is an extraordinary achievement. And no time to die, depending. It could very well be Craig's first and best outing. Yes, mm. he could He could well have pulled a Brosnan. Mm-hmm. 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 Or a Lazenby. <laughs> or a, well, or a Lazenby, yes, <laughs> technically. So, Greg, where can people find you if you want to plug Smart Enough to Know Better, perhaps? Absolutely. If you're interested in science, comedy and ignorance, but you hate, like, you, I wouldn't listen to a science podcast. Boring. Then come talk to Dan Beeson and myself, Greg Wah, and we have conversational, basically two friends with a 10 years, a whole decade of experience in communicating science. So come along and find us at www.smartenough.org or Twitter, SETKB. Looking for me specifically at the war. You can find me at Girl Clumsy and Stu is at Disco Stu. So that is it for Casino Royale, and we will be back next week with Quantum of Solace, one of yes, Stu's favourites. I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. But until then, I'm Natalie and I'm Stu, and we're shaken, not stirred. So does it doesn't look like we give a damn. <laughs> hey!